about the pigeon. That there's been an update on yeah. Pigeon Gate. If you listened to last episode, you heard that there was a sadly deceased pigeon outside of our apartment building. Sad little pigeon. Just lying there in his repose. I didn't notice. That sounds really bad. You didn't notice that it had been removed. I think it's because I hadn't gone out. You went out and yeah. saw that it was gone. I saw that some good Samaritan had... I wonder who removed it. ...taken the pigeon away, hopefully to a respectful <laughs> burial. I wonder if they wore gloves. Attended by all its pigeon friends and colleagues oh, and family. sad. Throwing little miniature roses onto its pigeon I just casket. imagine, like... Four pigeons or three pigeons coming along and like trying to lift it with their beaks, <laughs> trying to like fly it away, like pallbearers, like carrying maybe it on their they, shoulders. Maybe they did try, and that's why it was all moved. Remember when it was moved, yeah, into a different position, but they just didn't have enough pigeon strength <laughs> to lift their fallen yeah. brethren, their fallen comrade in the pigeon wars. Sad little pigeon, but yeah, I went out one time. It was just gone, and I was like, I'm glad that someone moved it, because my fear was, in time, I was just gonna nature's cleanup crew is going to come along, which is maggots and flies, Ew. and I don't know. I don't want to see that, honestly. And that's just going to be horrendous, because I, I imagine it doesn't decompose overnight. Like, it's going to be a fairly prolonged period of this pigeon carcass rotting down to the bone the maggot thing happens with animals with pit birds i don't really understand what maggots are or how they work <laughs> or what they do honestly but i think it's i think they just appear on decomposing it's something animals. to do with the flies isn't it yeah i think they're like the kind of do they turn into something or they they turn into maggots from something yeah Sound very not smart right now. <laughs> I don't think anyone is going to knock you for your ignorance concerning the gestation of I should know these maggot things. life forms. Oh my god! You know when we're talking about maggots. It immediately made me think of CSI. Sure. I feel like that's not really a thing anymore. But for a while, that was like a big show, and I was obsessed with it. I can't yeah. say forensic. Procedurals really attract me. I was big on it, like seriously. Just the Vegas one, no, not the other. Oh, of course. Not the other ones. You're a CSI elitist. Although I did watch a few episodes of that CSI Cyber, but it wasn't very good. Anyway. Um, they investigated dead computers. <laughs> yeah. This Dow laptop was you think it's so struck down funny, in the prime you? of life. The prime of life. There's like a little... But- Girlfriend I laptop totally who's just like snuck crying. A reference in there, but you don't just missed it. I got it. I was talking about How dare you. laptop on laptop crime, <laughs> which is a big problem in the cyber world. Why don't we cover up the camera on any of our devices? That's a really good point. I think about that a lot, and yeah, I never, never do, do it. it. Yeah. Know? I think about it in terms of my phone as well. I feel like people talk about like covering up your webcam a lot, but no one ever talks about covering up the camera on your phone because I feel like if people were going to hack things now, wouldn't it be better to hack the phone because yeah, you use it the most? Always with you. But I never, and I even take it into the bathroom sometimes. So like, yeah. 
don't you think the manufacturers like Apple should maybe there should be like a little porthole you have to open to reveal the camera you know like just like a little slider yeah a little plastic door that you have to slide back and forth to use the camera yeah I was gonna say maybe it's not something you slide manually maybe it's something that automatically opens when you open the camera but that could be hacked if it was a manual thing, it can't be hacked. But then surely you would notice if the little plastic slider thing had been retracted. Well, without it's not going to be a plastic slider thing if it's if it's something built in. It's going to be like a covered lens inside yeah. there. And so you wouldn't, you know, unless but you're then staring you wouldn't, at it. You, you wouldn't, wouldn't know, know, which is But if it was like a manual plastic dangerous. thing, A, you would see if someone had opened it. And B... That can't really be hacked if it's like a manual. But this is kind of a moot point in that Apple are willing to take away the headphone port to shave off a few millimeters of the iPhone. (laughs) They're not going to be willing to put some kind of extra mechanism to cover the camera up. But I do completely agree that we should be covering our cameras. Uh, And yet I can say with certainty that I don't think I ever will. Because... Yeah, I don't think I will leave. It's just one of those things where <clears throat> you know you should, but I'd have to buy something to cover it or I guess just put well, a post it note over it. Like but I just feel like that looks kind of messy and tacky. But you shouldn't really be caring about what it looks like if we're trying, you know what I mean? But I am the type of person yeah. who doesn't like that. Type yeah, I don't of thing. really want to put like sticky tape all over my. I know and I take so many pictures that I you want it would it annoy available. me having yeah. to constantly. I know that sounds silly. Oh, it would annoy you to, to remove it, but that's a, a reality. That's why I haven't done it because. But it's one of those things where if it happened to you, where someone yeah. had hacked into your camera and blackmailed you with all this salacious footage of you, I don't know, getting changed what am I doing? or being or whatever it is. <laughs> Then you would be like, I can't believe I was so stupid as to not take that precaution because it was so I feel like I wouldn't want to use my phone if that happened to me. I would have a very, like, I'd have that, I'd have, I think I'd have a really strong reaction. I'd be like, no, I don't. You'd go back to smoke signals. Yeah. Writing things down on parchment with quills. You would have to take it to another level. If you want to take a selfie, you commission an oil painting. (laughs) Just completely regress. A selfie is not a... Portrait of you, a selfie's a self-taken photo. But if you, if a painter paints themselves, is that a selfie? That's a selfie, yeah. I see. I think it's kind of a semantic difference that you're. But it is because I really dislike it when the whole selfie thing. Selfies have been around forever, like cave paintings of well i don't necessarily mean that far but they were definitely face. around way before the term selfie was like used in the mainstream yeah, of course. and i feel like certain people don't really know what it means if it's just a picture of a person they're like selfie and i'm like no that's not what a selfie is because pictures of people have been around forever and they're not called selfies i don't know why that little thing bugged me i'm gonna sound so ridiculous i understand but i think it's one of those things where people object to the way that literally has come to mean its exact opposite people use it where they should be using figuratively and it's just one of those things where language evolves and people use an expanded definition i don't really agree with you in terms of like 
it being that selfie thing, it being the way language has evolved. I think people were just using it wrong. Whereas, like, the literally thing, that's definitely a, t- a type of, like... It's taken on a Yeah, I mean, because I even meaning. say literally when I know... I don't use it as, as much as some people, but, like, I know I use it when I... And I always think to myself afterwards, why did I say that? Because I know that that's not the right word. But you're right, it's becoming the right word because it's used so much. It's just a good way to be emphatic with a word that doesn't precisely mean what you're trying to say, but it shows that you're trying to put a point across yeah. very strenuously. Or My you're trying ultimate... To, Sorry. Or you're trying to put the finger across forcefully. Yeah, I think my ultimate pet peeve when it comes to saying words wrong is I could care less versus what it really is, I couldn't care less. And when I see it where you mostly see it, which is in like American TV shows and American films, it always, it bugs me on two levels. One, is the writer writing this, the like making the character say it wrong because that type of character would say it wrong? Or does the writer not know that it's wrong? Because if the writer didn't know it was wrong and then the writer wrote it and then the character was reading their lines, I mean, the actor was reading their lines, they were like, don't you mean couldn't care less? So do you see the levels? It's like they've had to keep the wrongness in even though they're are kind of checks and balances that would show them the mistake. And I feel like it's only ever in American. It's an American thing more so than... That's a strange one because I think people use it sometimes even when they know it's not the right phrase. It's almost like they're trying to up the emphasis. To say, I couldn't care less, is you conveying the fact that you are very laissez-faire about something. You don't have much interest in it. You don't feel strongly about it. And it's almost like by shortening the phrase even more, you're emphasizing how little you really do care about this. No, you see what I, I mean? don't think anyone's using it like that. I'm not saying that that's a conscious thought process. Oh. I think that's just how phrases like that become kind of bastardized and shortened. Mm. Yeah, like the way people like, I could care less. Yeah. It just makes no sense. I can't get past the fact that it makes no sense. And you're like a smart. You don't even have to be smart, but you're like a person who knows words. And so I don't know why you're a saying A person who wrong. knows words. But then I guess you could put something like that next to literally and be like, well, obviously you don't mean literally, but you still say it. But I definitely think literally is an exception where it's like it is a case of a word evolving i don't think the could and the couldn't isn't a case of it evolving i think people are just saying it wrong and they're just it's just one of those things where you hear the phrase being said and then when you go to say it you say it the way that you've heard it a lot yeah and so if people around you drop the n apostrophe t then you're just going to be inclined to do it yeah it's like the way that phrases, for example, if someone heard someone say, oh, it's a dime a dozen, they might end up writing that as it's a diamond dozen yeah. because they oh, don't hear mm, what the actual words are. I like these and I feel like everyone knows these. There's always like a list of things that people say wrong because of the way you say it, like for all intents and in, in, 
for say all intents own. and purposes. And people say for all intensive purposes because... Which almost sounds like it makes more sense, yeah. which is a strange... But I feel like there's a list of those where, you know... I hate it when people often say, well, they type it anyway. They often say, and again, this is Americans. I'm, I apologize for... You're just generalizing 400 but million But they people. say... Um, Shuttered instead of shuddered when they're typing. Is that a thing? That's a thing. That's a thing in fan fiction as well. Like you heard a word and you think it's especially because Americans they soften their T's to make it sound like a D a lot. And so I, I could understand why some things if you've only ever heard a person say it, you'd get it wrong. Um yeah, some yeah of there's it is a whole just bunch of those that are really annoying that people get wrong. The way that different accents interact with certain words. Like there are regional versions of yeah. certain words that have kind of become the actual word for that group of people just because over time the accent has degraded the word into this new version, which I think is fine. It's just a symptom of the fact that people don't speak exactly the same all mm. across the world, even if they're speaking the same language. And that's why it's kind of irritating when people object to the literally thing, because the word has taken on a new meaning. People are using it to mean something else now. They're using it in this yeah. ironic, self-contradictory way for a specific reason, because it has... A purpose and a use in that fashion mm. like because i can really see how using literally to mean what you think like it actually makes sense in a way um even though it is the wrong word i get when people when it becomes kind of absurd where they'll say i literally just smashed my computer i was so mad and they really are just kind of saying it for humorous effect yeah. they didn't really smash their computer they were just really mad that they deleted their emails accidentally but it's also i think for some people it's an actual go-to word it falls into like your your vocabulary it slots into like we were just saying into many different sentences in lots of different ways <clears throat> and that's just kind of one of the words of like right now yes the millennial bastardization of language i don't think it's the millennials doing it it's the the generation it's your generation no didn't we it's look this up when we actually saw that we are both millennials even though there's an age gap i think you looked it up to prove me wrong if i recall correctly uh, your honor but millennials aren't the young people now i don't know what people are always calling millennials like calling millennials out it's the 20 somethings now i don't know what they're called but Millennials are like my age, and I'm 32 nearly, so... And you were born during the Great Depression. Shut the fuck up. You shut the fuck up. times were tough. You had to roast rats over an open Who's fire. Who's going to be 24 soon? <sighs> you burned me to my core. And you know what 24 is, don't you? It's one year away from 25, which is a quarter of your life. And when you're 25, you're basically 45. <laughs> Everyone knows that. Hey, so what am I? Don't answer that. A child of the Great Depression. <laughs> I just told you. I am a child of Depression. You used to eat, like, you know, root vegetables that you grew in I don't eat park. vegetables. But you did back then. No. no one had any money. 
I won't have any money now. This is back when a dollar could buy a house <laughs> and ten dollars could buy a kingdom. God, I can remember when a pound bought like three different things. A pound barely buys you one thing now. Unless you go to the pound shop. And then it buys you one thing. Sometimes it's like well, two yeah, they for have a like pound. really small things like three for one pound, two for one pound. Yeah, I feel like the pound shop is such a like. It's such a scam in that you get carried away. Everything's a pound. Just fill up the basket or whatever. And then you actually end up spending £30 and you're like, shit. It's really only good if, like, these things aren't usually a pound. Which it almost But then never there are is. lots of things that are actually less than a pound in the, like, cheap section of the supermarket. That's why they do those two for, three, two for a pound, three for a pound. But then it's like, I don't need three of them. So, yeah, it's such a scam. I understand it cons me every time, though. The psychological appeal of it, though, because like you said, it feels like the unit of currency that you have, whether it's a pound or a dollar, that should be like a powerful buying force, if you see what I mean. Like a pound should be able to buy you things because it's a discrete unit of your currency yeah. instead of this weird situation where... A loaf of bread is one pound fifty, and milk mm. is one eighty, and nothing is one pound or two pound or three pound. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I guess what you're saying. Like, I I get why that's kind of there's something in people's subconscious. I think that gravitate to that that mathematical simplicity of using currency, and of course, there's also just a part of people that want to buy cheap crap. Yeah. I, I admit I am that type of person. I've never noticed. <laughs> you hate it when I bring tat home, as you like to call it. Cheap tat. Um, to decorate but our it's, But some things are so useful, especially like storage. Storage is surprisingly expensive. Boxes for things, containers for Good things. Good storage, at least. But if you go to like the pound shop, you can get that stuff. Not like big stuff, but like little little pots here and there to put like your trinkets in or your makeup or whatever. And it goes a long way. But isn't it kind of a false economy in the sense that that stuff won't last very long? Whereas if you just well, spent depends. a few pounds more, well, you'd get something durable. That's not always the case. It's not always the case that cheap things break. It's not always the case. Especially if you are just using it to hold something like your makeup brushes or whatever. Unless you're, like, throwing it around, it's not going to break. It's going to last a long time and it was only a pound. And you can pretty it up in But then you're spending ways. extra money, so why don't well, you no, just buy you a pretty have. version to begin with? Like, you could wrap some, like, ribbon around it or <clears throat> whatever. Do you want to talk about your arts and craft project that recently came oh, out yeah. so well? Can you... I need you to hammer a nail into the wall. I will do. <laughs> I I have a lot of headbands. <clears throat> Pretty headbands. And there's just no like natural way to store them. And by that I mean the only way to kind of store them is to just put them in a pile on top of the desk or whatever. Because unless you've got lots of things in your room that you could hook things on, then there's not really anywhere to put them where they won't get like... Like some of them have like cute bows on and I don't want them to get squashed or like misshapen. Um, and so I was thinking of ways to kind of store them and I was looking it up. There were a few ways. And don't you remember that thing I made before where I got like the empty kitchen roll paper towel holder and I put some 
like um some like tissue some colorful tissue paper around it and then i wrapped that oh, onto I, like a coat hanger yeah. and then i did that but that wasn't very stable cold. because i felt like as soon as you went to take one off they all kind of moved and some fell off and so then i saw this idea where you get like a long strip of ribbon and you kind of sew loops onto it kind of, of the ribbon itself yeah of the ribbon itself and then you hang that on a wall and then you hook your headbands into each ribbon and so i did that the other day and i was really pleased with it so i want to hang it so yeah get to hammering get boy. to hammering i could do it but i don't want to <laughs> i just wonder how many nails have we pulled in the walls already and how many is too many in not terms that many because that one and that one was already there stuff. i think you made those ones what about in the bedroom? How many nails you, have we? The only nails we made in the bedroom are the ones you made for the exercise in. Yeah, that he, sounds Yeah, strange. you should say what I mean. Well, we have an exercise bike in the bedroom and I just hammered two nails in front of the exercise bike on the wall so you can put the iPad on the wall at eye level so you can watch stuff on the iPad yeah. as you cycle. Very simple, but it works perfectly. So yeah, we've only hammered two nails into the bedroom. But I think you've only got to worry about stuff like that when, if you know you're not staying for somewhere very long, we're probably going to stay here for quite a while. And so... This is going to be our tomb, basically. <laughs> and so I think, you know... How easy is it, it to fill more... in nail holes, though? Easy. You just get, like, a tight... You can fill them in with toothpaste, honestly. That's Remember I did horrendous. that at the one place? You just get, like polyfiller and you just use the tiniest little bit of polyfiller just to like but then don't you have to paint over it so it matches the rest of the wall um otherwise you've just made a hole into yeah a patch of different colored filler i don't actually think you do you just have to fill the hole smash cut to us moving out of this apartment (laughs) and getting like yeah. 500 pound knocked off our, our security it, deposit it's also not as important security deposit isn't even for 500, <laughs> 500 pound it's not it, it well, this type of thing was more important when we lived in london because when we lived in london we actually even though we only lived there for like three years we actually moved twice because they sold the apartment out from under us remember out from under and us because the rent's so expensive the security deposit is, is the same price as the rent and so it's more than a thousand pound so you're like i definitely want to have that back so do you remember when i went and i matched the paint for those marks that the tape had made on, on the window and when we taped the trash bags because <laughs> <laughs> we had a meth lab that we were trying to hide from when we first eyes. moved in and we were waiting for our blinds to arrive our blackout blinds we temporarily taped trash bags to the window to black out the listeners i promise we're not hobos <laughs> squatting in someone else's apartment and when and even though building. yeah and even though it wasn't wallpaper i guess because we used duct tape pulled the paint off the wall i do vaguely recall this yeah so i went and i matched tried to match the paint of the already painted wall that was like years old and discolored and so it was hard to match and i went and i matched the paint but also there was work out well i don't really recall yeah it was fine it was pretty it was probably like a 98 percent match the hardest thing was though i don't know if anyone i don't know if there's a proper name for this but you know when you have that wallpaper that's like bumpy 
No. You don't know. I feel like this was a thing when I was younger, so maybe it's kind of like been... <clears throat> what's the word? Phased Filled, out. Yeah, phased out. Now you don't really see it as much. But that kind of like bumpy wallpaper was like a thing. It gave it kind of texture. And that was the wallpaper that was on the walls in the hallway. And you know when Rudy finds a corner, he likes to scratch the corner yeah. of the wall. Um, and so there were like claw marks and like oh yeah and so i had to try and fill in wallpaper the only other way we would have done it is if we'd have stripped the whole wall and then wallpaper and i was like we're not doing that so i filled it in with toothpaste i can't believe this is a hack this This is an actual hack this is a life hack because the toothpaste hardens and so it looks like the little bumps of the wallpaper. I feel so bad for the people who moved in yeah. afterwards and discovered well, they this bought gross it. So I'm assuming they were going to redecorate because they pay a lot that much money for something. You're going to want to, yeah. Um, you know. I do remember every time we've had to move out of somewhere that desperate scramble There's, to yeah, fix yeah, all yeah. the different problems that are going to deduct from your security deposit. <laughs> Usually made by the cat. Usually made by Rudy, yeah. trying to cost his money. The little... <laughs> is that his life's mission? Demon. Pretty much, He's not yeah. a demon. He is a bit of a demon. No. I summoned him in a pentagram. A proof so. of smoke appeared, and a he proof? was in the middle of it. A proof of smoke? As opposed to what? I don't know. A vortex funny. of smoke? Yeah. An eddy of smoke? I like that word. You know no what one's going to know what you mean, though. You have to look it up. Yeah. You can't just restrict yourself to words that no. most people know. <laughs> That's not what I meant. I'm saying if you choose to use that word, most people are just going to look at you and be like, they're going to just pretend they know what you mean. Again, see my <laughs> aforementioned statement of you'll have to look it up. Yeah. That's like you go into shakespeare and being like could you just use the common parlance I feel like you just have to look up every third word if you went to see shakespeare yeah you can't really do that in real time though no you can't it's almost like they need a screen above the stage that every so often gives you the definition pops up a definition of some archaic or <laughs> strange Not just that, i feel like a lot of people don't understand shakespeare rightly not rightly so, but rightly like, so because underst- fuck that guy. <laughs> Understandably so, I think. It's not that hard, honestly. No, I know, but it's also not that easy for people who I don't know, people who what but so it's not that easy for everyone. I understand. just think it's a dumb position when people are like, Who cares about Shakespeare anymore? It's not relevant. It's just some yeah. dead white guy talking about court politics from 400 years ago or the battlefield from 400 years ago i just think that's such a philistine simplistic way to look at it because it's yeah it's not super easy and intuitive to read you do have to have a certain degree of commitment and concentration and you do have to look up certain words in certain historical contexts but if you don't want to do that that's fine but it doesn't mean that it has become irrelevant in the context of the whole the entirety of literature if there's one kind of like classic that you're gonna keep it's shakespeare like there are lots of you know classic um novels or like you know classic writers that um not everyone agrees with should be classified as classic but 
if there's one that you're kind of going to agree with, even if you're not really into it, it's Shakespeare. And I feel like people who aren't really into it are probably the ones that don't really understand. Well, that's kind of a axiomatic truism. Yeah. If you haven't read it, you're not into it. No, I, mean, I didn't course. say that haven't read it. I said that don't understand it. Even still. My point stands. <laughs> the defense rests. You just wanted to use that word, didn't you? Sure. <laughs> I'm looking at our Shakespeare tome right now because we use it to support some of the mic stuff. And it is that a weighty That really tome. weird. I feel like we need to explain. We obviously record in our living room and we have like set up with like... You're not going to be able to visually basically convey how we yeah, have the I mic can't. set up but so basically we have a table and on top of the table we put this really really heavy thick shakespeare tome and then a speaker i just realized we do that so the table doesn't move don't yeah we? we do it to give the table some the more stability it's just one of those like fold out like TV dinner, dinner ta- tables. yeah 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 and it's not very stable yeah. And so we put those heavy things on the table to make sure it doesn't move or wobble. And the book is massive. The book, I could kill a small Very cat heavy, with it. Yeah. And in fact, I could kill I a large cat with it. you could kill a person with it if you swung it Probably, yeah. It's very heavy. It's awesome, though. It is. It's got like it's the, gold. the gold page edges. Yeah, it's pretty. And the thick hardback cover. I think that's the only thing that like works is good for. Works is like this No store. one is going to yeah, know but, what this bookstore chain in yeah, the UK but is. It's a store that we have that sells books. But it's not really just a bookshore. It's like bookshore, a bookstore. It's like arts and crafts as well. But I feel like it's really gone down in the years. And I feel like this type of thing for like a really good price is like the only thing that Works is good for. But this is like a special limited edition tome. Yeah, Like, yeah. this isn't the type of thing that works sells every day of the week. This is, if you look in the inside of it, it says, like, blank out of 500. Uh, it yeah. Was like yeah, a, yeah, yeah, because there's only so many yeah, of them. It was like a limited run, very high quality I feel like we're going to have that forever. Yeah. We're going to be, like, 75 and we're going to get I'm pretty it sure out. it's going to outlast humanity. Yeah. After the nuclear holocaust, it's just going to be E. coli... <laughs> cockroaches and then this humongous tome of shakespeare why do cockroaches survive they're very hardy little creatures Are cockroaches like anything to do with dinosaurs i don't think i so. realize when i said that out loud but a that's not what i meant and b i don't know why i said that <laughs> people are like switching off like this bitch is dumb <laughs> i don't know what i meant but they definitely didn't mean dinosaurs. I understand what you mean. But they do last. They leave out things, don't they? They outlive things, you mean, to say. Live out things is awesome. I'm done with the podcast, Ryan. <laughs> You've turned against me as well. Did you drug me? Not today. Did Virgin drug me with this water? I howled a rag to you and I said, does this smell like chloroform? <laughs> and you said, I no, it smells s- like cyanide. I get what you're saying, Cockroaches are, although it's kind of a weird thing because we look at, say, alligators or crocodiles or whatever it is, or those giant tortoises, and I think we kind of say to ourselves, well, of course they've survived since dinosaur times because they're like dinosaurs. 
but then dinosaurs themselves didn't survive. So it's not like dinosaurs are the ultimate example of longevity. Yeah, but I'm not... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The things that are really hardy, the things that are really impossible to kill, uh, there are certain types of bacterium, you know, microorganisms, like where essentially nothing can kill them. They can survive nuclear holocaust they can survive insanely low temperatures insanely high temperatures they can survive there being no water they can survive mm. being under the ocean they can survive there being no air and there's inter- there, i remember i saw an interesting project where a guy was trying to manipulate the i think dna of one of these types of bacterium to encode information in it so for example oh, you wow. could encode the dna so when it's decoded it gives you a poem and then you could do this with one of these insanely what long-lived insanely hard to kill bacterium cells and it's basically like archiving something forever because the cell is going to replicate and replicate and all its descendants are going to have the same poem encoded in the genetic material and so it's like you've committed something to the earth forever because paper corrodes even if you carve it into a mountain over millennium it's going to be washed away by acid rain and rock slides and stuff yeah slash scary slash it's a flesh-eating bacteria and so (laughs) (laughs) it turns on us yeah it says this poem is trash (laughs) you can't be allowed to live So yeah, episode 10. (laughs) It's a nice little milestone for us to have reached. It feels like it must be more than 10, but at the same time it's like, wow, how have you done 10 podcasts? 10 doesn't seem like many, but if you're doing three and a half hour podcasts, each one is more significant, more time consuming, more of a, you're putting yourself out there. To a greater degree each time. If you see what I mean. Yeah, I do. Should we get on to the first topic? Because we're just rambling about Yeah. Anything and everything. Bacteria. Okay. So the first topic is let me just get my telephonic supercomputer. Your back computer. In my hand. Let's see if you will do it. Hey computer. Welcome home, sir. For your information, Robin is trying on costumes in the Batcave again. He's doing some pirouettes in Batrishnikov. <laughs> That's adorable. That's the best one yet, I think. Should we explain cool. what that is? Yeah, 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 you explain. Well, I saw that Siri, the voice of Siri, has been used as the Batcomputer in the new Lego Batman film. We should say, first of all, that we're not promoting this. Yeah, we haven't yeah, been yeah. paid to do this no. advertisement. And so they did a tie-in where if you say... Hello, computer, to yeah. Siri on your oh, iPhone. Oh, hey, pewter. Yeah. It will say something related to Lego Batman, which is pretty cool. I it's a nice w- little Easter yeah, egg yeah, yeah. to find out. I kind of want to see Lego Batman, even though I'm not really usually into that type well, of thing. Well, we watched the Lego yeah, movie and it was... It was kind of funny, honestly. Fairly were entertaining. We no, we went high, were we? It would be very enjoyable high, though, I feel. It would be. Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> 
No one's going to hear that. Say no to drugs. Say it full-throated and or with say conviction. Yes and share them with me. Your Honour. <laughs> We're in a courtroom and they're playing this back to the jury. <laughs> okay, come on, topic. Topic me up. <laughs> I need a topic me up. To pick me up? A toe pick me up. Pick me up with your toe. Hit my t- little toe with a pickaxe. That would hurt. But you want it. <laughs> if it's consensual, it's fine. Your Honour. God, I'm in, I'm in court for a lot of things. <laughs> and I feel like some of them are much more severe than others. Yeah. Okay, so. Having finally gotten it up on my phone. I saw an article, an op-ed on the American Spectator website entitled Democracy versus Republic, which is a very attention-grabbing headline if you're comatose. Oh, I just saw that the author is Herbert London. That's a cool name. Which sounds like a British gentleman superhero. (laughs) Like a cross between Sherlock Holmes and Captain America. Herbert London. Hello. That's got to be made up. I'm Herbert London. I feel like those British names that people give to British people in like American movies, those type of people, they're all kind of like really old now and soon those types of names aren't going to be around. So Hubert London might be made up. Yeah, it's Hubert so London. gross when there's an American film and the British character is called Jonathan Pinkle top, like some <laughs> winkle bottom, some like aristocrat name, uh, but he's just like a cab how driver. How lucky would you be to be called London? Though I feel like that's quite a I cool can't believe name. that's a name, Jack though, London. because aren't most names derived from your trade, like what you do? So if you're John Smith, that yeah. means one of your ancestors was a Smith. No, but London is a surname. I've heard it before. I've never heard London as a surname There's before. an actor called something London, isn't Does that, that mean there are people whose surname is New York? That's Hi, not the I'm same. Sally New York. That's not the same Hyphenated. because New York is so new. I'm a hyphy. Compared to London. Did you just say You're New York hyphy. is so new? Compared to London. What a stunning declaration of <laughs> historical knowledge. What were you saying about being a hyphy? Hyphy milfy? No, let's not go down that, <laughs> that path. Uh, I love how how we drop these little hints to our (laughs) super, super deep inside jokes that we just say when we're half mad, You're not supposed to say that it's like an inside joke because then it's like not cool. If you just do it and then no one knows what it is. They'll think that you're insane and you're off your meds and they will send people to get you. I'm definitely not off my meds. You're definitely taking too many though. Yes. Of the insane pills. I do take quite And a it's lot of weird pills. that you prescribe those, honestly. <laughs> I feel like it's medical malpractice for a doctor to give you pills that make you mad. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> That's going to be a lucrative lawsuit. Yeah. Okay, so moving on from Mr. London. God damn, that's a good name. I'm Mr. London. Call me Jack, Jack London. Jack London? Yeah. That's some horrendous that's writing some right there. That's a fucking Tom Cruise movie. Yeah. That is. Anyway. So, basically, this is a fairly short op-ed. And I chose this because it reflects something I've seen a lot lately. Um, Although this guy is is a lot more specific than people tend to be. And the point of what he's saying is basically everyone 
who complains about things and says this is supposed to be a democracy or we should be a democracy or that's not democratic or whatever he's basically saying to them shut up you live in a republic and of course this is specifically talking about americans and mm. american readers and he kind of goes on to tepidly assert that democracy is not a good thing anyway and we should be glad we live in a republic and yeah basically know your place wow and i just read this and i've seen a lot of kind of people starting to denigrate the idea of democracy recently because it has produced things like donald trump because it has produced things like brexit and i just wanted to if you'll permit me okay and you will, I will because i'm holding a sword to your heart you could be holding a sword to my heart i know no, i would know this is my plight is this is this your secret come save me message yeah. no one is i don't know if the microphone is gonna have picked up your whispered i'm pretty sure plaintive help you weren't supposed to hear if the they weren't supposed to hear what was the help? point in a secretive way so that you can't hear me that is not gonna come across <laughs> i fear but we shall see how the finished product turns out. Okay, what am I permitting you to do? Yeah, I basically want to outline how I think about democracy. Okay. I would start off by saying that I think representative democracy is a bad joke. And I know that's a very provocative statement, but I'm going to explain what I mean. If you think about what representative democracy is, and obviously this comes back to what this guy is talking about, because... Although republic is kind of a nebulous term, it generally refers to a representative democracy that doesn't have a monarch and is a self-governing sovereign state. So representative democracy is you vote for a politician to represent you when all politicians get together and decide things for the country and for the people who live in the country. And you choose a politician based on what they say they're going to do. So if you're a single issue voter and all you care about is gun rights or a woman's right to choose in terms of abortion, you would gravitate to that politician who says, as a campaign promise, I'm going to make sure to enact policies which align with these outlined goals, with these stated political stances of mine. But then they go to Washington or they go to Parliament here in London, the House of Commons, and they have no obligation whatsoever to do as they said. Their campaign promises are entirely dependent on their capricious sense of obligation towards the electorate who put them into the, the position that they find themselves in. So no matter what they said they were going to do during the campaign, no matter how strongly they gave an oath to the electorate that they were going to do that, there's no legal binding obligation on them to do as they say. And so I see representative democracy as a way to distance people from being able to actually affect things, from actually having any power to change how things work in their country. It's basically a way to put people at, a remove from actual power because even though 
they get to pick a representative for them the chain of causality is severed when that representative goes and sits in parliament or goes and sits in congress and doesn't have to do what they said they were going to do so if you see what i mean it's not like you're not directly yeah. affecting any change because you're relying on someone keeping their word and so i feel very strongly that direct democracy so called is the alternative that we should be pushing for and direct democracy is basically everyone votes on everything you don't have representatives anymore you don't have these salaried middlemen who you have to hope will do the thing that you voted for them to do referendum come up i think maybe the plural of that is referenda but say a referendum would come up do you think that marijuana should be legalized do you think that women should be able to have an abortion within the first 6 months do you think that we should intervene in syria and everyone gets a single vote and you could even put because i know the objection to this is usually while well, you're just going to end up with a kind of stifling tyranny of the majority where 50.1% of the people get to decide everything you can even put a higher minimum majority so you can say on really important things 70% of the people have to vote yes for it that's fine but at the end of the day people get asked whether this thing should happen or not and they get to vote directly on whether it happens and that's what i think that we should be pushing for as a society because people like to talk about the idea of self-determination as being this important right for nations for sovereign states but i think we should be looking at the idea of self-determination on an individual basis you should have a direct say and not just an a say but an effect on how your country is run because there can be no kind of social contract notion that makes sense if you don't have an ability to affect and change and consent to the terms of the contract so if you are born into a society and that society has already decided because this was the prevailing wisdom 50 years ago that if you smoke marijuana and you are caught you should be locked in a cage with rapists and murderers for many years you should then be able to with the generation you now find yourself a part of call for a referendum to change that and then vote to change that and then therefore you would be specifically affecting and choosing the terms of the social contract that you agree to live under in relation to the government and in relation to your fellow citizens and therefore it could kind of make sense to a larger degree and yeah that i mean that's really all i have to say i just think that representative democracy has given us the two party system which is i think is kind of an inevitability because human beings have that tribalist instinct where we want to get into teams we want to root for a sports team and we want to root for a political party and we want to say there's us versus them in everything we possibly can because it makes us feel more comfortable if we can be in one team opposing another team and it can be as black and white and as simplistic as that and so that's why we've ended up with a two party system whereas 
if you had direct democracy, you wouldn't have to worry about political parties. You wouldn't have to play that game. You wouldn't have to debase yourself by supporting a party that just aligns with you on 60% of the issues because the other party aligns with you on 30% of the issues. But in both cases, it's just a conglomerate of professional liars who have made a living by pretending to be something that they're not in front of cheering crowds and kissing babies and saying they're going to do things that when they actually get into power, they either don't do or they do to some lessened degree. And I understand that people will say, well, people can't be trusted to directly determine certain important issues like matters of the economy or matters of national security. And that's fine. I get that. That's a valid concern about the idea of direct democracy. But in that case, I think you could either go two routes. You could either institute what is sometimes called an epistocracy, which is you get to vote on something if you can prove that you have a certain baseline of knowledge about it. So if you wanted to vote on something that will affect the economy very strongly, you would have to prove in a minimal sense that you understand the matter at hand and you understand the basics of how the economy works. And I understand that there are dangers inherent in that in terms of who gets to set the test, who gets to grade the test, what are you setting the minimum of knowledge as. But again, there are so many problems with representative democracy as it stands right now that I think you can't get into this form of thinking where if there's any problems with a system that will replace it, you'll oppose it on principle because you want some pristine, perfect, flawless, utopian system to be presented to you because that's not going to happen. It's all a case of trying to move towards a better system, even if there are problems with that. But also, maybe you could even have a very limited form of representative democracy in those instances where we choose a economic representative for ourselves or a national security representative for ourselves where instead of politicians you would have economists or academics who say i understand the economy very deeply at a very high level i've studied it for many years and i would tend towards doing these kind of policies if you put me in charge of this sector of the economy and then in recognition of the fact that we as the people don't understand these issues very well right now, we would say, well, we are going to delegate this very narrow portion of responsibility, of control, to people that we choose who can prove that they understand the matter to a great degree. So you could even do it like that. But I just think the current system that we have right now is just a way to keep people from being able to directly influence things. And that's why... I would never vote in a representative democracy. <clears throat> the times when I have been able to vote, like in the British general election, I sent in a protest vote. I simply wrote on the ballot, direct democracy. I know that's not going to achieve anything. I know that it doesn't have a real knock-on effect. But I do think protest votes are a valid form of vote. Um, and that kind of reminds me of how much I despise people who are for this idea of mandatory voting where it would be illegal not to vote. In the current context, I think that would just be a way to force people to legitimise the two-party system, the current 
form of representative democracy we have right now because then you'd be able to say look we had 99% turnout everyone voted for one of these two parties because of course they have to otherwise there's no other way of affecting change you're in a way throwing away your vote if you vote for a third party and so I just I really dislike the idea because I think it's a way of manufacturing support for the system as it is right now whereas people who choose not to vote or people who send in protest ballots or people who vote for third parties that in my mind is a valid way to in a way democratically express your disapproval of the system as it currently stands um and then on the other hand to go back to what i was saying i didn't vote for a politician when it came to the general election and i didn't vote in the brexit referendum so called because it actually wasn't an instance of direct democracy like people thought it was in that the government wasn't legally bound to enact the will of the people based on the outcome of the vote and so it was really just the semblance of people being able to directly vote on something it's almost like i want to be able to write down my thoughts as an essay like that would be the way i'd want to express mm. this because i'd want to do it in like this systematic way where i outline it piece by piece where and i'm trying to do that in like a verbal way and it's much more difficult because it's based on your memory in the moment i know exactly what you mean i don't speak anywhere near the way i write and i wish i could speak the way i wrote and i can't it's very frustrating because I feel like I don't know very much when I'm saying it out loud, but I know more when I'm writing yeah. it. I also know more words when I'm writing, and I'm more confident in that it is the right word. But when okay. I'm speaking, it just doesn't come. And so, yeah, I, I don't know where I'm really going with this. I just wanted to kind of verbalise my position on this so as to make clear how I feel about it so we can talk about it. Um, because I think strange as it is advocating for actual pure democracy in the form of people directly affecting things with a with a straight vote is actually a radical position in today's world there are a lot of people who like the fact that we have representative democracy where we choose people to choose for us in a way we get to say well the politicians fucked that up, not us, because we didn't get to vote on it. And that gives you a scapegoat. That gives you a level of remove from any responsibility. And I think instead of calling out into the darkness for better leaders, we should be trying to be better people who don't need leaders, who can choose for ourselves. And that's my point, really. Wow, so... I don't think I knew what epistocracy was. Um, what do you say it was? It's where you have to... It's basically a system of democracy where the degree to which you can affect something depends upon your knowledge of it. I like that. I like the idea of direct democracy. And I think, actually, if you don't know very... If you know the least about politics, but you still vote, I almost 
feel like some people might think it's direct democracy, especially when voting in things like the referendum, where it really does seem, if you don't know about politics, that your vote is going to count for what you think your vote's going to count for. Um, I, but So I do wish that we had direct democracy and not representative. I don't agree with that at all. Um, I even like the idea of epistocracy. You know why? Because I really like the idea of having to prove you know certain things before you can do certain things. Like maybe when it comes to things like gun control. This is just an example. This is not me actually saying, you know, I definitely think that. But also having children, you know, like people do things so easily without really knowing. And so I I like the idea of you having to prove that you know like a base amount of stuff. I do obviously fear though that that would make people vote even less. You had to take like, and it could be like a seriously like simple, not test, but questionnaire almost. What is da da da? But it could be really simple, like five questions just to prove that you actually know why you're voting this way or that way. And I was going to say it might make people vote less, but actually, if it was a direct democracy and an epistocracy, what am I saying? Epistocracy. <laughs> if it was a direct d- democracy and an epistocracy, yeah, doesn't it's a bit sound of a like twister. it's a word. Um, then actually, that might instead of making people vote less, it might make the people who don't vote vote. Because when you were talking about your protest vote. And in turn, people wanting to make voting like some a law, like you have you have mandatory to vote. voting. I think I would like to see a sort of like a variation on that, where you you don't have to vote, like say for instance in the two party system, but you do have to register something, even though it's it might be a protest vote. I do kind of like the idea of that maybe that being a law because then every single person is accounted for even if it is a protest vote and then maybe that way you might see change because then if 55 percent of the country is a protest vote then the people in charge might have to be like oh hey like this is clearly not working but of course this is me just saying and thinking just based off of what you just said i don't know if that really would work but well, I don't like the idea of any kind of legal compulsion yeah. in that area. No, I don't either. But but just in terms of lots of people don't vote because they don't agree with the system or because they don't like either party. That technically is a protest vote, but it's not registered as a protest vote. And I wonder if it was registered oh, as I a protest see what you're vote, saying, yeah. if it would actually affect more change. But then the question is how many people who don't vote are just completely apathetic they don't yeah care. there are lots of people and how like much that, of them honestly. are actively like fuck this system yeah it's completely corrupt and just a way to keep us from any semblance of real power i think it might surprise some people how many people are apathetic honestly lots of people who are just like i don't care it doesn't affect me even though it does they just think it doesn't i just would like to do away with this bargain with the devil system that we have right now where people vote for Hillary Clinton because 
they agree with her on abortion and they agree with her on foreign policy, but they really don't agree with her on gun control and they don't agree with her on education. So you have to make this weird sort of compromise where yeah. you don't get everything you want. A lot of times you don't even get most of what you want. You just have to settle for that politician aligning with you on some key yeah. areas. And I think that is such a debased way to interact with government. You would also get away with this... Do I mean do away with this whole? I'm voting for her because she's a woman. I'm voting for him because maybe not in the case of Donald Trump, but because he's a celebrity and yeah. I like him. Like, you know, you wouldn't have any of that if it was direct democracy because you're not voting for one person, you're voting for an idea. We'd get rid of this <clears throat> juvenile popularity contest yeah. where it doesn't matter how much experience you have it doesn't matter how competent you are how well educated you are how well you can articulate yourself it's all about if you're a guy do you have the clean cut look are you able to speak in a charming charismatic way and if you're a woman there's kind of the equivalent of that it's even harder to try and navigate yeah. all the things that you need to put out there without putting it out there without saying this but by saying this and having a yeah. smile on your face but not laughing it's all very... And so you get a large portion of people <clears throat> who are essentially interacting with a political race in this very simplistic, imbecilic way where they say, oh, well, I'd have a beer with that guy. He seems like a cool dude. Yeah. I'll give him my vote. <clears throat> Even though they have no idea what this guy stands for. They have no idea of his political history, his political affiliations. I just would love to see us move past that. And like I said, instead of saying, you know, we can do so much better than Donald Trump, you know, look at how good Obama was, look how much of a polished statesman he was and how educated he was about the law and the constitution, about the political process. I wish we could stop asking for better leaders and start asking for a better way to enact changes. Yeah. I agree. I think I wish we could do that too. It's insane to me that one person essentially is in charge of things. Maybe not so much here, but in America. I know they still have to answer to people, but essentially they have lots of rights in terms of like they can just override things. They can just, you know, and that makes no sense. Makes yeah. no sense at all. I, I, I know this is kind of a pipe dream that I'm proposing. I, I get that, but I still would advocate it even knowing that I really think the majority of people don't care about this type of thing. To them, it's these academic differences between political systems and they think the whole political class are corrupt and they don't want to have anything to do with it and they don't care about government and blah, blah, blah. And that's fine, I get that. I understand that that's always going to be a barrier towards getting people to care about this type of thing. But at the same time, I think if you could get through to those people and communicate very clearly that there was an alternative that would allow them to affect things in a very direct and definitive way, I think they would start to have that sense of as a sovereign individual who should be able to make choices about how I live my life and how my country is governed, I should be able to do this. You know, I think you can make that very simple argument to them even appealing to their own self-interest and 
kind of persuade them of the value of this new system. <clears throat> how could that kind of change happen? Like, what would like what would happen if the next president was elected, but then when they got elected, they said actually. And maybe even they said this in the campaign and it's what got them elected. If I'm president, I'm going to change the way we do things. Like, I'm going to change. It's not going to be... It's going to be direct democracy. I'm going to, like, dissolve this whole um, party system. And by my second year, it's not going to be me in charge. It's going to be... I'm going to abdicate the, the throne. Yeah, it's going to be this group of people that basically tell you what you need to be voting on. Like, what would happen? Like, well, do they have the power? No, say, if we're talking about like the American president, no. And I also wouldn't want to see it done in that way, top down, basically a tyrant. You want the people exercising to do it? some absolute power. Well, I, it's not that I want the people to do it because. How could the people do That's it? That's what I'm saying. How is it going to change? String the politicians we up could, from lampposts. We could ask for change, but unless we know how we could make it, like how we could actually, where we would have to start. Well, where you'd have to start is getting people on board with the idea. And then if you had millions of people protesting in the streets saying, we're sick and tired of representative democracy, we want to move towards a form of direct democracy, even with the caveats that I mentioned earlier, just to kind of tide us over as we transition and to make sure that just to make sure things don't fall through the cracks mm. as we as we move to a new system. That would be the first step. And then you take it from there. But that even that is such a unlikely scenario that it's almost kind of trying to count how many fairies can sit on the head of a pin like you know, you know what i mean to try and figure out the logistics of how we would mm. go from there that is where we'd have to be first protests are such a strange thing in that they really like don't work sometimes i feel like i mean i'm sure there are and this is me being really ignorant but like i'm sure there are protests in the last five years that have worked but there are also lots of times when people come out to protest and nothing changes. Or maybe nothing obvious changes. Maybe it's only little things that change. I really wish that the women's march that happened had actual things tacked to it. To like, you know, where they actually asked like a for direct things. Because demands. so many people marched. It was like a ridiculous amount. And I feel like... It was in no way wasted, of course, and it did mean something and it will be a historical thing for sure. But I almost feel like we should have been asking for something specific. Um, well, that's always the criticism of kind of spontaneous or near spontaneous mass marches like that. And things like Occupy Wall Street had the same problem where and also the anonymous marches that we have here and around the world. There are these protests where, let me just reposition in my chair. I wonder if, if the squeaking could come through I think the microphone. Maybe it does. I'm sitting in a very regal armchair right now. It is. It's... And the springs are very squeaky. I love that chair. But yeah, 
you have these protest movements where if you ask 10 different people what they wanted to see change and why they were out on the streets protesting, they would give you 10 different answers. Mm. And that means that the protest is just this kind of generalized nebulous expression of disapproval where there's this faction in it who are protesting against you know pro-lifers and you have this faction who are protesting against um the death penalty yeah whatever it is and there's not a unified message and i understand why people then turn around and say you're wasting your time blah 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 but I, I would completely disagree with that. Yeah, and I also wanted to I want to interject and say this. I am in no way saying that these protests that don't necessarily ask for something are a waste of time and they don't mean anything. They do. I'm just talking strictly in a sense of um the cases where you are asking for something. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I, I think it's just a type of protest. There's obviously another type of protest where you all get together and agree on we want these three things to be changed and we're going to formally demand these of the government and we're going to march with flags that have these three demands and that's fine. That's a much more uniform mm. expression of a very small group yeah. of demands. Because there's a type of protest where you're also like there and you're there until the thing changes, like the Dakota pipeline they're there until it changes whereas the women's march was like a show with today and just today we're gonna march to say this this and this and to show you that women count and women matter and that we have rights um so there are obviously but like you said it's must be very frustrating because if you're hoping that these protests affect some change i think the only mechanism by which that could happen is elected officials see that there's this great swell of changing opinion about something and they start to fear that they won't get re-elected by their electorate if a large percentage of them feel that way if they don't get on board with whatever that changing opinion is and I, like I said, I just think that's such a remove from actually being able to affect things because then you've got to hope that some random guy in Washington feels out of his own self-interest strongly enough to do that just to save his own skin when it comes to the next election. And I don't think people should content themselves with that. If you see what I'm saying. Yeah, I do. You're nodding along no, I do. sagely as you usually do. You're sedacious. Sedacious? Jason Sedacious? Remember that guy who looked like Jason Sedacious? What was that on? Um, I don't remember. Yeah, I know what you mean. But, of course, that that's not the only way it can go. It could just be that that person doesn't get re-elected and that the next person who gets re-elected is going to do it. So I think it's not... Like, you can't... Like, it would be silly for all your hopes to be, I want this politician to change their mind. It's more likely that actually let's get someone else elected. If, of course, we're at that time yeah. where, where elections come around. But then my point is, yeah, I understand what you're saying. My point is just why even bother with the middlemen? Why yeah. even bother with the extra step of having this big grand building where all these well-paid politicians get together and 
do what we could all just do ourselves by directly voting on things. What's the point? It's just a show. It's just a way to make people feel like they're affecting things in a direct way when they're actually not. They're actually relying on someone else to do something. It's like what we need is we need a direct democracy and instead of having politicians at the top, what we need is we need the heads and the leaders of like we need like academic leaders and like sci- the heads of like scientific departments and they're all going to tell us they're going to say this is all the research we've done and this is what we need in terms of each separate department now you're going to vote on it so that we don't have all these weird like 2700 middlemen of like doing different things and i don't know what any of you do and you've all got the same name <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> They've all got the same name. I don't know. 2,700 bobs. Sally An John. An army of bobs. Sally John. Sally John. Sally John. <laughs> Gender fluid politician to the stars. An autobiography. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I think people feel content with representative democracy. But when you look at it, they don't even have that in a way. For example, here in England you have MPs in the House of Commons and people do get to elect those people. But then you also have a House of Lords, which is basically unelected noble men and noble women who get to have veto power and all the bills that come through and who get to affect change by themselves. And then you have, of course, an unelected monarch who in turn has this high-level sovereign power over everything. And we're all technically her subjects. And so people don't even have what they think they have, if you see what I mean. They have, that's one thing, but it's intermeshed in this system that dilutes it even further. So they don't even have the democratic power, which is already quite small, that they think they have. Mm. But also because, like you were saying earlier, they can say they're going to change things and then don't. They're not hold. They're not, they're they're not, not beholden. They're not beholden to any kind of accountability. They don't, yeah. you know, no one ever says you didn't do this. I mean, people then still get, often still get re-elected. Yeah. No one cares. On the back of lies. Um, because this is just the way it is. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do just, they're either totally indifferent to the whole thing and they don't vote or they vote like they've always voted because this is the way it is and I'm Labour, blah, 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 and yeah, I'm Bill Labour till exactly. I die. Like, my father voted Labour yeah. and my grandfather voted Labour and I'll always vote Labour and I'll teach my kids to vote Labour because we're Labour and fuck the Conservatives. Like yeah. I said, it's that it's that way of viewing things where we're on Team A and that defines me because I'm in opposition to Team B and I have that tribalist instinct where I want to be in a group of like-minded people opposing a group of people who feel differently than me. And that gives things a sense of meaning, that gives things a sense of structure that I can understand because it's very basic and it's very simplistic. Until we are able to move past that, people will always root for political parties the same way they root for sports teams. Yeah, I agree. Let me ask you this. Is there a direct democracy anywhere in the world? Not that I know of. There's occasionally countries will have 
very specific narrow referendums but like you said our referendum wasn't really a well referendum. the brexit one wasn't legally binding so it wasn't an act of direct democracy it was technically just an advisory expression of will from the people towards the government and then they get to make the ultimate decision so it was really just a charade the whole time mm-hmm. but yeah so a, a few countries when public outcry or public demand for the ability to be able to express their will on a particular subject mounts to a very high level, they will kind of buckle and say, okay, well, we'll have a very specific question posed to you, and you get to vote on that one specific thing. Has America ever done that? Um, Can't imagine that they have. Not that I know of. I don't, I mean, they are in a way more opposed to it than we are yeah because they have a very strict system of representative because they have the state thing so it would be very hard for them to do that when lots of things fall to the state well states have their own referendum in terms of like in you might go to the ballot in california and alongside voting on who you want to be your next representative for california there might be um a question about should marijuana for medicinal purposes be legalized here in california there are ballot measures like that but does that then have to then be voted on on the higher level as well so 99 percent of people could have voted for it to be legal but if that then still has to go to the higher ups it could end up still being illegal i don't know for sure but i think it's basically one and done in terms of if people voted in, it becomes okay. state law. Because obviously that's only when it's direct democracy. Yeah. When it is, we voted, now it's a thing. But like you said, in a way it doesn't matter because federal law mm. always supersedes state law. So it doesn't matter if marijuana is legal in California. On the federal level, it's still illegal and so you can still be arrested and prosecuted for it. That's a problem with the federal system, not a problem with direct democracy. yeah it's all just a case of trying to make people care more about you you know it makes me think one thing that i will never forget and it really kind of conditioned the way i would think about people's apathy towards certain things is one time well i should do i want to tell the story tell it and we'll see Gosh, we can vote on it. Direct <laughs> democracy. <laughs> Basically, my mom would read this newspaper here in Britain called the Daily Mirror, which is essentially a tabloid. It's kind of the highest brow tabloid out there, but it's still a tabloid and it's a crappy newspaper and it, it's just, you know, mm. still garbage. And she's read that for as long as I can remember. And I recall one time I said to her, as she was sitting down to have dinner after she got home from work, and she she cracked open the Daily Mirror, and I said, I can't remember exactly the words I used, but to paraphrase it, I was basically like, you know that this newspaper is terrible. It's essentially just a tabloid rag dressed up a little bit. Why don't you read a better newspaper, a broadsheet that has good journalism that has in-depth stories and and all that jazz and she basically just said to me i've just got home from work it's been like an eight-hour shift i just want to kind of turn off and read something simple 
I don't want to have to dive into something that's difficult to read or something that requires more effort. And I think I will always remember that because of it being symbolic of the fact that people do get home from work and they don't want to read in-depth stories about what has happened in politics that day or what has happened in the world. They just want to kind of turn their brain off and just chill out for the rest of the day. And I see that as kind of being representative of how difficult it is to get people to care about these high level, mm. almost philosophical ideas about self-governance and about liberty and about freedom and about democracy and about the degree to which they should be able to affect things on an individual level. Because people do work hard jobs, they do do manual labor and they come home and they don't care about all this airy fairy academic finger waving if you see what i mean and i don't really know how you break through that barrier but i feel like it's those types of half measures like oh i don't have time to read something oh i don't want to read something that's too complicated oh i don't which i totally understand especially if you just come home from work or you've been looking up to your kids all day and you just want to you know but i think it's those types of situations where things like fake news gets in because if you're saying you've only got time to scroll through your feed and look at headlines or you've only got um time to read the front page or the first three pages or that's where those fake headlines and those stories that aren't real but they're really short and they just give you the gist of something <clears throat> really have seeped in because you're reading some shit newspaper or some shit website. I feel like so many people don't even know which ones are shit either. Yeah. Like, it might be that your mum until then didn't really even know that the Daily Mirror was, like, a shit newspaper. Especially if it's something you've been reading all your life and the people that you know read it it's as well. It's just the standard. It's just what you know and therefore not shit. Um, or not real. Because if most of the things you see are then most of the things you see on the news on the TV line up somewhat you're going to think that everything's real and that's and that's why i think things like that have been able to like seep in because everything's so fast-paced now everyone just wants to be able to like scroll through their thing and just see headlines or just see like you know the top the top part of the article and just get on with it yeah people see news stories on facebook and they don't even click through to see yeah. who it's by they don't even know who the author is they don't even know what yeah. the website is it, it's so clear as well i often go into facebook comments just to kind of like almost remind myself that humanity can just be fucking awful and terrible and not know anything um you click into it and it's like so many people responding to the headline yeah. or to the line underneath it. And it's like, you didn't click the fucking article. You don't know what you're talking about. The person who wrote it doesn't know what they're talking about, but you know even less than that person. And it's just infuriating. Yeah, and this ties into the fact that you have to make interacting with the democratic process as easy as possible. Otherwise, people will just see the barrier of entry and they will think, I don't care enough. And that's why 
you should be able to vote online to give an example it shouldn't be this thing where you have to go and stand in a queue on a cold day Mm. on this long winding line that stretches around several corners yeah it should be the type of thing where we have a system in place where like in america where they have social security numbers where it's this very secure thing that is attached to you specifically and only you know it and it is a way for you to prove that you are who you say you are we have social security numbers as well yeah you you know what i'm saying (laughs) yeah and yet we should have something like that where people can just vote from the comfort of their Mm. homes they can do all the research they can be sitting on the couch doing a few hours of research into whatever the topic is and then they can just go on to the the voting website and cast their ballot and I think if that was the case, you would see instead of right now where we have voter turnout nationwide of like, you know, whatever, 40, 50 percent, you would start to see 80, 90 percent, maybe even more, because there would be no inconvenience cost for people to do that. Yeah. And of course, then the naysayers will say, oh, it will be vulnerable to hacking. It will be vulnerable to people gaming the system. And like I said earlier, that's making the perfect the enemy of the good in terms of how secure is the voting system right now yeah. when all you have to do is go to the voting place, tell them your name, and then you go into a, a little booth and draw a curtain and write on a piece of paper. You're seriously telling me that that's infinitely more secure than a way we could come up with of doing that online? That's ridiculous. Uh, and here, you don't have to have ID. Yeah. You have to be registered to vote, but you don't have to have ID when you go up to vote. Like, when I, last time I voted, voting in the referendum, you just have to give your name and address. And if your name and address is on the list, and how easy is that yeah. to just get someone's name and address? It's so easy to find a bunch of names. Exactly. So, I agree with what you said. It's like saying you can't do it purely just because of that that reason. That that's a stupid reason. I also think something like online voting that would then also open up the idea of this epistocracy. <laughs> I don't know why I can't the say it's the word. It's going to be chiselled into the because along with you opening the page of who you want to vote for, maybe just before it, there's three questions. Yeah. So when they get your vote. They have an idea of how many people voted based on their actual knowledge against people who voted just because their friends have voted that way or whatever, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, and then the funny thing is people would say, well, if you have five questions to make sure that you know about whatever the thing is you're voting about, people will just Google the answers to those questions. But in a weird sort of way, that's them finding out yeah, the answers to exactly. the questions. That's so all they're you have learning to do. what the subject is in this kind of roundabout way. And research is so much easier now than it was even two years ago because so many things now you ask a question on Google and it will give you the answer at the top of the Google research instead of like. And I'm not saying that's always going to be the right or the best or the most in-depth answer. But if you ask a question, it's going to give you a snippet of the answer before you've even clicked on a web page. So researching is so easy and so simple now that it really isn't all that like crazy effort that people talk about. Just finding out what is what and where does this stand and where does that go? And it's just way easier. 
It's just there's not that higher barrier of knowledge required for so many different things, especially questions of social policy, where it's like, how much knowledge do you really need to be able to decide whether you think someone should be locked up for smoking marijuana? Yeah. You need a little bit of knowledge about what the potential harms of using it are. You need a little bit of knowledge about what the effects of legalization would be. But then it ultimately comes down to your thoughts about it's like a moral freedom, thing. Yeah. your thoughts about individual liberty, your thoughts about the degree to which the state should be able to determine mm. what people can and cannot do in the privacy of their own homes, things that only affect them and them alone. Yeah, it would be so much better to let people decide that for themselves. Yeah, exactly. I feel very strongly about that online voting idea as well, because it's incredible that we don't have that mm. yet. You can all, it's always going to be for everything. But what if we get hacked? What if we get broken into? What if something breaks? What if the plane falls from the sky? That doesn't mean you stop doing things. Yeah. It just means you do it and then you find ways to do it better. And, and that's simple. Are people really trying to say that we can move the world's money through cyberspace? Yes. And we won't be able to find a way to yeah. securely let people vote? You have billions and billions of pounds or dollars that move between bank accounts, that move between mm. vendors and buyers. And we figured that out, so that's reasonably mm. secure. And that's all it has to be reasonably secure. It's never going to be perfect, of course. Nothing is ever going to be perfect. The system we have right now is not perfect. Mm. There's tons of ways to commit voter fraud if you're really committed. Even when you have the machines, the voting machines, there's been so many security mm. researchers that have shown ways that they can be hacked, ways that they can Even be Even just on a small level of, like, in terms of America, registering in more than one state. Like, you know, fraud and, like, things like... It hasn't always got to be, like, someone hacking into something. Fraud happens in lots of different ways. To me, it just comes down to the fact that we need to modernise these things. We need to modernise democracy representative democracy kind of made sense two three hundred years ago because it was understandable that a specific village or a specific town would choose a person to talk to and then that person would go to a gathering of elected officials and represent the people who had chosen him that was kind of justifiable because people had to travel by horseback and there was no internet so that everyone could educate themselves about everything if they wanted to there wasn't as many people yeah exactly and it makes more sense when there's few people so that kind of makes sense for that time period but now it is this kind of archaic vestigial remnant of an older time that doesn't make sense anymore because we don't have to limit ourselves in that way people should now be able to vote on each individual issue and decide for themselves and then it's the same in voting in terms of it once made sense to have people come to this one location. And in that way, you could kind of keep track of people. You could make it so you could keep track of who was registered for vote and whether they'd voted, yeah or not. And so if you see what I mean, it made sense in yeah. the pre-digital world to have people go to a physical location. It doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <clears throat> so it's because there's more people than ever. It would just make sense that it would be digital because it's easiest to count. It's easiest to keep track of. You know, lots of 
people's main reason for not voting beyond that whole indifferent thing is, yeah, but I can't take a day off work. I can't spend an hour travelling to this place. I can't, don't want to stand in line or whatever reason it is that that seems like such a inconvenience to do. Whereas if they just have to log on and press a button, like that's one and a half yeah. minutes to do it. I think we're in agreement. Yeah. I just... It's exhausting knowing that something could be made so much better, but yet witnessing it never change. Yeah. I don't expect we will see anything like I'm describing in our lifetime. We may start to see a shift in public sentiment towards that, but it all depends on whether people start to feel more strongly that they should have more individual freedom mm. or whether they start to feel more strongly that they should just rely on people chosen to make the decisions for them and that's why it's crazy you know in america you can have a state like hawaii that doesn't have many people and they have you know say two senators and then you have a state like california that has an insane mm. amount of people, and they have two senators. And so, you see what I mean? It's so uneven yeah, in terms of what sense. each individual person in that state, what degree to which their vote influences, A, the representative that gets chosen by it, and then in turn what that representative does. So it's just so infinitely diluted. You also need to make it more simple. If you've got a vote, like on this level and then you've also got to vote on that level and then you've got to vote on that level see what the outcome of that is and then vote again at the top level it's like i understand why people it's hard for people to get involved because it can seem really complicated and there needs to be a simple way of being like no that's why it's just easy and simple my one vote counts and this is how i vote all the way through yeah because like you said, politicians aren't even how to account for breaking their campaign policies. Mm. It's not like, well, we vote this guy in and then he'll do what we want him to do or we'll get rid of him. So many times they break their campaign promises and nothing happens. No. They just get elected and elected and elected and they become these lifelong career politicians just because they've built up a certain rapport with the people that they represent with that particular territory and that's obviously how it started one person got away with not doing what they said they were going to do and so now it's just an expected thing yeah i don't like politicians because they lie is like the tagline of like what our system has become and i feel like now we have the ultimate in trump the ultimate kind of like rule breaker in a sense because He's coming from a place of celebrity slash power in being famous. And so he's coming at it as like, well, I'm the president. Who's going to tell me no? So he's going to break as many rules and traditions as he possibly can. And we know he's going to do that because he's already started to do that. And until someone actually stops him, like completely, he's just going to continue to do it. Yeah, it's... More and more, the American presidency has become kind of an elected autocrat or an elected king. That's what people kind of want from a president. And that is, of course, the antithesis of what democracy should mm. be, even representative democracy. 
Yeah, I mean, I just, I hope people will start to think more along the lines of we as individuals, as citizens, as people, we deserve more power, more ability to determine our own fates and the fates of our country and the way that we get to live instead of less. And I think they should start to see more and feel more acutely the deficiencies of representative democracy where you have politicians who have a certain mandate from the people who elected them they say okay all these people voted for me and they want me to say um enact an assault weapon ban just to take a random example but then they get into office and then they have to interact with lobbyists who come to them and say hey I'll give you a million dollars for your next advertising campaign when you next run for office if you don't enact an assault weapons ban. And who are they going to listen to? They can listen to the person who could help them get elected next time because we know that people respond to advertisements, political advertisements. That's why super PACs have become the kingmakers now Mm. because people can be influenced by these very powerful, very minutely crafted pieces of rhetoric of manipulation of brainwashing you could even say and so there's this kind of counterweight this counterbalance to the degree to which people can even make the representatives that they elect do what they want them to do yeah i think that's a good place to wrap up i think so too i don't know how well i articulated what i was trying to get across it's a very heady subject to talk about it's so easy to go off onto tangents but all within the same topic too because it is kind of infuriating and it, it's like impossible you know yeah the there's just thing. so much to talk about so much related stuff you have to get yeah. into so many tangential issues you have to address hopefully i uh advocated that position fairly well you did oh, you're just saying that no. You're the yes man that you I keep d- around me. You did. You know that. I'm You're my not. yes woman. Yes woman. Yes, yes woman. woman needs to pee before she explodes. So via the magic of editing, we just took <laughs> a quick bathroom break. Brownie break. A brownie break. That sounds I good. I may have had a tiny little brownie. We do have a box of brownies alluring nummy. us with their chocolatey goodness. It was nummy. Yeah. Just one final point about what we're talking about. Another thing that frustrates me is this counter-argument of, well, you can't trust the people. People are too dumb to make these decisions for themselves. If we hand over direct democracy to the people and let them decide everything for themselves, you know, people are dumb. You can't trust them. I just think that is such a disheartening and pessimistic position to have because the only alternative then is for you to say and that's why we need leaders that's why we need people to make decisions for us because they're smarter than us they're better than us they have some greater degree of wisdom and decision making than us and so you fall into that trap of kind of paternalistic authoritarianism where you say people can't be trusted to make decisions for themselves they need to have this elite class of career politicians decide things for them and i couldn't disagree with that more wholeheartedly or full-throatedly because 
I do think that people, no matter what you think of their ability to understand certain things, no matter what you think of their degree of knowledge about certain things, I think it should be a fundamental, universal human right to be able to determine your own political fate, to have that self-determination where you get to contribute your choice to the collective will. And so in so doing, you get to help determine how everyone gets to live, if you see what I mean, and how you as an individual get to live. To me, that will always be infinitely better than someone, like one politician, thinking that they know what's right for everyone. Because one thing is never going to be right for everyone. And I think that that's what people high up, that's what we wish they all kind of knew and like stood by. That actually this one rule is never going to apply across the board. Yeah. Unless it's don't commit murder. <laughs> like don't rape. The biblical yeah. imperative. And yeah, that's what I was talking about earlier in terms of if you, for example, take the Brexit thing the Brexit debacle, as it might eventually come to be known as, you had all these people who were on the losing side. So you had these people who wanted to stay in the EU. After the referendum came out and their team didn't win, quote-unquote, you heard a lot of them say, well, great, that doesn't matter because we're in a parliamentary democracy. We're not in an actual democracy. That's why we have the House of Commons. That's why we have elected MPs, because ultimately the choice resides with them. They kind of fell into that rhetoric of, well, it's good that the people shouldn't get to decide this for themselves Mm. because the people decided something that I didn't want. I was on the losing team and therefore the winning team shouldn't be able to decide. And of course, it's so transparent and so childish because you know that if they were on the winning side, they'd be the fiercest advocates for direct democracy. They'd be the fiercest advocates for the results of that referendum being binding. But instead, they resort to this idea of, well, it doesn't matter because we have this group of people who know better than us and we trust them to make all our decisions for us. The system is so weird in that, There are so many people that, like, A, don't believe that they have power. And B, after Brexit, there were people who didn't, who who said, like, I voted this way, but I didn't think it was really going to happen. I don't understand how you got to that place. Maybe because politicians are always promising they're going to do things and they don't and then the the person voting didn't really understand what the referendum was um but i know that like personally i don't vote unless i know i find it very strange that people know they don't know things and then they vote anyway And that's why I will always say, and you said something along the lines of this earlier, I I don't agree with that whole, it doesn't matter who you vote for, you should vote. Because that means people are voting and they're uneducated about it. They don't know. Um, I think it's important that you do have knowledge and that you do know who you're voting for and you know what it means. And it just goes to, the Brexit just goes to show People didn't know what it meant. People didn't understand that they had power. Yeah. I have two responses to that. 
like I said earlier, I also really dislike that position because I just think it's so disingenuous because to say, well, you should just vote for someone. If you didn't vote, then I don't care about what you think because you didn't take this opportunity to affect things. When everyone knows that voting for one of the two parties is interpreted as a tacit expression of approval for the two-party system itself. And so all the people are saying you should have voted for the Democrats or you should have voted for the Republicans. And if you didn't, then I don't care what you think. They're basically saying you should have voted for the two-party system. And if you don't, then you don't get to disagree because you didn't take part in the regnant system. And I just think that's so... It's such a paper-thin edifice of rhetoric that it's almost difficult to argue with. It's difficult to dismantle because there's there's no substance there in terms of the argument. It's just people being kind of mm. petulant and argumentative for no reason. Because, of course, you should be able to disagree with the system itself. And the only way to disagree with the system itself and to express that is to not interact or interface yeah. with the system itself. So that's my first point. My second point is in terms of what you were saying, I also feel kind of almost like you maybe wouldn't even need to formalize or enforce an epistocracy if we could just shift public perspective to the point where it was really looked down upon if you voted on something without understanding it. And I know there's a certain degree of that right now, but if we could move to the point where it was seen as almost kind of this disgraceful Mm. thing where you know, what are you doing that that's so childish and silly for you to have voted on that when you have no idea what the relevant issues are. If we could move towards that, it's almost like society as a whole would pressure people towards making informed votes instead of making completely ignorant votes. Yeah, like instead of all these campaigns of like, make sure you use your vote, make sure you go out and vote, it's... um. Instead of make sure you go and vote, it's make sure you know what you're voting for. And maybe if that was the message, things would start to change. Even if they changed a little bit, that's something because that might change um, hundreds of people to change their vote because what they originally thought they were voting for isn't actually true. So, yeah. Yeah. That's a good place to wrap it up for now. we should move on to... Greener pastures. <laughs> okay, so shall Talk I me. move on to the next yep. topic of discussion? Okay, so the next article I would bring up is a news story I saw on The Guardian entitled Extraordinary Levels of Pollutants Found in 10 Kilometer Deep Mariana Trench. And The news story basically states that, well, the Mariana Trench, if you don't know, is this really, really deep fissure in the seabed. It's like the deepest you can go underwater in any of the Earth's oceans. Like it's this really deep, deep, deep place. Mm. And scientists scooped up some of the organisms that lived there, the tiny little crustaceans, and they found which I thought was really startling, that the little tiny, you know, crab creatures that Mm. lived at the bottom of this ocean trench 
had a higher degree of pollutants in them than the equivalent life forms had in the highly, highly polluted rivers of China. You know, there's riverways where they just dump all the industrial yeah. waste, all the the byproducts of the factories alongside it. And this is 10 kilometers underneath the ocean, which is just incredible. And so I basically want to talk about a, the fact that human beings have somehow managed to pollute or damage or negatively interfere with every corner of the earth, no matter how remote, no matter how inaccessible. And secondly, I want to talk about why it is that humanity has decided that we, in some sense, own the earth and we can do whatever the hell we want with it. We can use its resources to an extreme we can pollute it to an extreme we can do whatever we want because it's somehow our property and it's our prerogative to decide that no matter how it affects the other life forms we share the earth with the animal life it makes me think of when people litter like there are things happening in the world that you know i'm not saying that you can't stop or that you can't change but obviously like you know, air pollution and things from, like, vehicles. That's, like, the way of life now for most of the world. But then there are things that you can actually do or not do in the case of littering where you just think it's kind of, like, okay to just throw your dirty whatever on the ground and, like, either A, think someone else is going to pick it up, B, don't care if it gets picked up, and then on another level, which I think is worse than littering in the street, is littering in the ocean. Because the ocean is home to so much life, not just like in terms of like animals, like fish and like sharks and stuff, but the plant life and like the coral reef and everything. And that can just, like, I know there's a, a level of understanding that people have to come to to know that. But it's very distressing. Yeah. Why do you think we have just kind of implicitly decided that it's our right to do with the earth what we like? Whether that's yeah, preserve it know. or whether that's destroy <clears throat> it. It's a very strange thing. Why does it make sense to say because we find ourselves on this planet and because we are the the most highly evolved and highly intelligent life form on it, it is therefore our property to do with what we like. That is, I think, the core philosophical problem that I'm wrangling with. Mm. Because I think the answer to that will give you the answer to why we have ended up with such ridiculous pollution, even in these insane places like well, the Mariana Trench. Well, I think there were... Levers, levels, levers. <laughs> there are levels and layers to what you said. Because I don't think the fact that there's all this pollution necessarily means that everyone contributing to it has a disrespect, but also a stance of ownership over the world. Because I think some things, like I said, that... And maybe we'll come to the conclusion that actually they're no different. But from the beginning, things like, you know, 
pollution from vehicles and pollution from um, factories and things like that. That's obviously different to, um, you know, littering on a low level, not recycling, contributing in whatever way to things like oil spills. I know that oil spills are usually accidents, but... It's not usually Barry dumping yeah, yeah, yeah. a bucket of nitro oil into the sea. But it's also what you then do about it. And there are things like that that happen and then nothing's really done about it. Um, so there are obviously different, there are different levels of like what you're doing to contribute to it, what you're not doing to preserve it. Um, it's a very strange so thing I don't really know how to answer it. Because I, I, when I think about myself and the earth, Best of I'm friends. not really at one with the nature. You always say the nature and I'm always going to find it adorable <laughs> slash bewildering. It scares me. I, I I see the world, like the earth and like nature and the landscape as a bigger thing than me, as a greater thing, as something that has way more power than I do and that means more. That's interesting. But that's not to say that I wouldn't, use it if i had to you know but you would use it like there's a big difference between chopping down some trees in the forest so you can make a cabin for you and your family and dumping toxic chemicals yeah, into the I ocean would never just do because that on it's purpose, expedient obviously. like there's a big difference yeah. between using the earth and just taking advantage of the fact that you can damage the earth to your benefit like it makes me so sad when the like animals wash up and they have like crazy shit inside them because yeah. oh that makes me sad i don't know it's a really difficult one to answer do you think to a certain degree the fact that as humanity has evolved and civilizations have emerged and we've started forming cities where everyone lives in these concrete or brick buildings and the only nature you really see is the occasional park or the occasional stretch of trees on your road. You see what I mean? Like we're mm. so cut off from what nature really is. Like if you were to go to a forest and walk through it or if you yeah. were to go to the the middle of the ocean and scuba dive, you would have a much more visceral, unignorable sense of what nature is and why it must be protected. Yeah. I see what you mean, especially as someone who really doesn't, like, I don't want to be in nature, but I like to look at it, if that makes sense. The only reason I don't want to be in it is because I'm scared. I'm scared of everything. Like, I don't want to be anywhere near insects. I don't want to... Um, be eaten by a wolf. Yeah, I don't want to climb crazy things or um, I have no interest in hiking, like... Not because I don't want to see what's there. It's just, yeah. It's just too much of a cost to be able to do it. You have to walk for hours and hours. Yeah, I don't want to do that. That's not fun for me. Um, yeah. What was my point? <laughs> <laughs> where is my point? Uh, where is my point? Uh, uh, where is my point? 
Do we know any of it, any of the words? I I only know the chorus to Where Is My Mind. This is a bad tangent for <laughs> this is a bad tangent for us to a go tangent? on. How dare you? <laughs> I miss speaking and you jab me with your yeah. knife of betrayal. No I'm pretty sure that's what I feel. There's I no look knife. down and I see my shirt there's bloody. A, there's only love. With a wound of why are you always going to take it to the next level? Because they call me Ryan, the next, next level. level boy. That's your name? Yeah, it's a weird name. I, demand, I didn't give it to myself. I demand you wear a name badge. Yeah, what did... I totally forgot where we were. I... Do you want me to jump in? <laughs> no, you were talking about... <laughs> You're like, oh, no, I get it. I get it. I don't want you saying it. I get 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 it. You were talking about being cut off from from nature and stuff like that. I can understand that. If you are like a city person, <clears throat> when you go on holiday, you kind of go to cities. Like me, if I was someone who went on holiday, I would go to cities. I would go to European cities. I would want to go to New York, Chicago, that type of thing. Um, you know, my idea of a holiday would never be to go to a beach or um, some forest in a forest Iceland. In, well, no, actually, I do like the idea of staying in like a wintry cabin type place. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't really venture out into yeah. it. I would stay in the cabin and around the cabin. Um, so, yeah, I can understand be, people being cut off from it. But there is a large, large amount of the world who who aren't city that isn't a city. Like think of like Australia, for instance. That's fucking massive, um, and it's mostly yeah, it's mostly outback. But there are still these city yeah. hubs that people live in. People don't live across the desert of the outback. They live in these very concentrated, yeah. very kind of enclaves away from nature i don't really know let me just put this to you and see what you have to say about it i'll use you as a sounding board this is what really bewilders me and i i think it's kind of a it rises in order of magnitude when i get to my second point but the first part of it is people seem to not be able to be moved enough by the fact that the more you damage the earth right now, the more fucked up the earth is going to be when you gift yeah. it over to your descendants, to your children. That seems to not be enough to make people care strongly right now, at least most people. Well, I think that there's two reasons. We're starting to get into sub, I think sub points. two reasons for that. I think one is that it's hard to see if you're not looking for it. Like, obviously, if you sit down and watch a documentary on, like, global warming or or you look at pictures of what the world was like just five years ago and what it's like now, then obviously you're faced with the reality. Um, but unless you seek those things out, it's easy to not kind of... Um, Think about it. Yeah, it's easy to... It's totally out of your mind. And the other thing is, is that what goes along with that is that people don't believe it. Some people, they don't know, and then when they see it, they know, or they don't believe it, and then when they see it, they're still kind of sceptical somehow. And then the other thing is, 
It's an inconvenience. It's an inconvenience to recycle. It's an inconvenience to change all the lights in your house to like whatever lights are better than the ones that we have. That's me being totally unknowledgeable about things. It's inconvenient to buy um, things to stick on your shower head and your taps to use less water. It's inconvenient to um, buy a. It's inconvenient, yeah, to buy an electric car or to use a bike. It's everything isn't going to be an inconvenience because it's you changing what's comfortable and easy for you now into doing something that's not comfortable and easy or it's more expensive or more time consuming and that's probably the other that's probably the main reason why people don't i know it's the main reason why i don't do a lot of things is money and convenience if i'm honest yeah see i was gonna say i get that on that point because you're taking all these actions which do have a certain degree of inconvenience or cost associated with them so you don't really want to do them and it's hard to make yourself do them because they're in pursuit of a goal that you're not going to see in your lifetime yeah because you want to do it so that the people who will outlive you will still have a usable earth to inhabit it's like you've got to change the fact that you're a creature of habit all knowing you're not going to see the consequences of your actions or the what's the positive way of saying that the fruits of your labor yeah so it's like you're a creature of habit who can't get past doing something that you've always been doing and then when you do finally get past it you're not going to see the fruits of your labor only your grandkids are going to see it or their grandkids um and so it's easy to just be like actually it doesn't matter well you're not really actually i can't imagine lots of people actually say that but by not doing it you are kind of saying that yeah and so belatedly we get to my second scenario which is like i said amplifies things because it makes it even more ridiculous it makes it even more explicable you have all these people who live for example all those cities in china where you have ridiculous air pollution where you have to sometimes wear filter masks just to leave the house or you'll end up with very serious respiratory diseases you have people living there where you can see what the pollution is doing you have to deal with it in a very immediate and a very costly way it really serves as a detrimental influence in your life and yet you'd think that if you lived in a city where factories and car manufacturers had polluted it such that you couldn't go outside and breathe the air you think that would be the greatest extreme possible such that people would be marching in the streets Mm. with torches and pitchforks demanding that this be reversed demanding that this be fixed that there be a cessation of any activity that was contributing to or intensifying this pollution and yet people still somehow Mm. find a way to just normalize the inconvenience that it causes and to say to themselves well it just is what it is and i'll just deal with it i think the overall answer to that is cities make too much money to not to to not do anything about it to not change because no one wants to be the first to say i'm gonna shut down and send everyone home um and you're never gonna know if people are gonna follow and they're probably not going to so i think it's only gonna like it would only work if the whole place shut down 
or most of the place shut down. And I just, it's just not going to happen. And I don't know what else to do about it. You know, I have this fantasy that we, being people that don't really live in a large city where there's like tons of pollution, there's obviously pollution, and we only lived in London for three years, and that we don't leave the house very much, that we're actually healthier than most people because <laughs> we're because we're smog. not yeah we're not like exposed to the elements like everyone else. Um, but that's just a fantasy. But yeah. it's also an element of Schadenfreude where it's like <laughs> everyone else is going to have lung problems, but because we're shut-ins that like to binge watch, we're just going to get shingles. Instead. We're going to have perfect. <laughs> lungs shingles what a random thing to bring up isn't that what you get when you don't go outside rickets rickets is when you don't eat citrus fruits i think or is that scurvy these are all diseases you you used to get on ships in like the 1700s (laughs) so i don't think that's super relevant to today but i i understand what you're saying but the funny thing is when we lived in london obviously when you get to central london there's tons and tons of traffic there's tons and tons of air pollution everyone knows that but a specific instance of it where it affected my activity affected my routine is oxford street which if you don't know is this very densely populated with shops and buildings and whatnot tube stations yeah this this long road that's a very popular tourist destination for people because it's got a lot of retail outlets and whatnot. <clears throat> I used to have to walk. Well, I, I didn't have to, and that kind of ties into what I'm about to say. But it was quickest for me to walk up Oxford Street so that I could get to my university building. But then I saw a news article at the time, and this is obviously several years ago, so I don't know if it's still the case, where because there were so many buses... And there were so many cars that get congested in the traffic up and down this street. The air pollution there was like the worst of any place in central London. Breathing the air on Oxford Street for a prolonged period of time was not good for you. Mm. And I used to walk up and down it twice a day, you know, three, four times a, a week. And when I read that and I thought about how many buses you do see just sitting in traffic there pumping out this diesel smog from their exhausts for everyone to breathe and the road is right by the path Mm, so when you walk by a bus you literally smell the exhaust fumes and so you know you're inhaling that and so it got to the point where i said i'm not going to do this for the next two years i don't know what it's doing to my lungs but it definitely can't be good i'm going to try and make a small step to avoid this extra intense pollution and so i started walking up to my university instead of oxford street one of the roads that runs parallel to it Mm. um because there's hardly any traffic on that whatsoever because it's just a side street and so i started doing that because i didn't want to have to deal Mm. with any potential negative health consequences and that's such a tiny example when you think of what it must be like to live in one of these extreme air pollution cities where you have to wear a filter mask mm. just to leave your house. Aren't they going to make Oxford Circus and that whole area traffic-free or everything but buses or something? Yeah, I saw there were proposals to either... I can't remember whether it was to limit the number of buses or to remove buses altogether or whether it was to completely pedestrianise it and get rid of cars and buses altogether and just have it Mm. as one long 
pathway for people to walk along. I think that's what it would be because I, you know, when people say things like this and then they make mock ups of what it would look like and it was all kind of paved over and like, which is interesting because how much do you want to go back to where we used to live because they changed, they pedestrianized that area? Yeah. And it probably is done by now. And this is an area in London, sort of central east London. Um, that we all that we lived by that we always went to and kind of like you we know, had to walk through it to, get to walk to through it to get to places but basically. also just when you want to kind of go out and people watch we always ended up there some somewhere in one of the coffee shops and I want to go back there to London like. just to see what that's like yeah. in fact I might look it up but yeah that's the total because there were so many roads there and there was so much traffic yeah. there and from when we moved in to when we moved out there were these signs there that showed you like you said a computer yeah mock-up like a, a a visual projection of what it was going to look like when they paved over all these roads mm. with just sidewalk with so just cool. pavement but we never got to see yeah, it while we, we actually lived it took there. so long to do several years later we moved out and it still wasn't done yep. and so we never got to experience what it'd be like to have no cars there whatsoever that'd be cool i don't think that cities in a general sense, are moving towards getting rid of car pollution by yeah. getting rid of cars. It's nice when cities do things like put segregated cycle lanes to mm. encourage people to to bike to work or bike to school or whatever it is. But I don't see many capital cities like London or New York. I, I feel like I never really hear about them being super aggressive about trying to really radically reduce the amount of traffic, yeah. the amount of cars and buses and taxi cabs or whatever it is. I feel like the big massive cities like London and New York, I feel like they're never going to completely do that because like I was talking about the money thing earlier, there's always going to be big important people that want to get to their big important buildings and they're not going to want to walk. Like, you need to be able to get into the centre of these cities but via a transportation and that's going to, you know, going to be some kind of vehicle. So it may get to a point where, you know, part of the city is just, is just like cabs, so it's, so it's less or it is just buses or whatever. You know, it might get to a point where it's like that. They have they have solely kind of like bus sections instead of just bus lanes, but whole streets that are just buses. I mean, because that would lessen it a little bit. If you had a really extensive underground system, like in London, where the tube can take you anywhere you want yeah. to go, that kind of, in a way, you'd feel like it would almost get rid of the need for buses mm. or taxis or whatever it is, because you can just get on the tube but it seems like the tube is there and yet people still take ubers people still take black mm. cabs people still get on the bus even though they can just hop on the tube and i know there's a lot of unpleasant aspects to riding yeah. the tube obviously there are reasons like you know severe reasons why people don't want to get the tube it's or like don't being a human sardine yeah um but no you're right like Obviously, London is a bit of an exception because the tube takes you almost everywhere and not everyone's system is like that. I know, obviously, the New York subway is probably like quite like that, but I don't think it takes you everywhere. Um, 
Maybe a big part of it is that you have to pay like a set fare even just to go one stop. Whereas maybe if you were only going one stop, you just pay as little as like 50p because it's one stop and more people would do it. But so many people like, you know, occasionally we'd go like just two stops and we'd get the tube. But that's because once you've already used the tube, it's really like you're only paying a certain amount anyway because they have caps and stuff. Um but if you are only going to go like two stops, much people would prefer to jump on the bus because it's cheaper or, you know. I yeah, know. I see what you're saying. I really liked the idea of cycling around London. I remember when we yeah. were going to move there, that was something that I looked forward to very much because I enjoy cycling and I knew I'd especially enjoy cycling around this big bustling metropolis that I'd romanticized so much in my mind. Do you remember the first time we went out on our bikes? I do recall, yeah. I remember. It was so fun. It was ill-advised. It was. Only because... Two reasons. One, it was night. Which is never so good. So we shouldn't have done it. And two, we didn't know the area yet, and so we didn't know which areas were dodgy, and we totally rode we straight into, into Dodgyville. And just... Yeah. And I was like... Let's stop and go back at a certain point. And I'm glad we did. We have we to did. go back, Ryan. <laughs> They're um, going to devour us. So I remember that. It was so fun. And I would have cycled more because obviously we cycled more after that. Um, and I even didn't use the barking bikes like a ton, but um, which is so convenient. Yeah. Um, but what scared me is that there are so many roads and, like, junctions and stuff that are just so complicated, and I was scared. And so I know they had started and maybe even completed that, like, proper kind of, like, bicycle lane slash route, and that would have been nice to use because it's more safe, you know, and much more. You're giving me... He's giving me... Just so everyone knows... He's looking at me like, I wanted to talk about this, and now you're talking about it, and you're taking it away from me. You're doing that thing where you just interrupt me and say a minor point. I'm like, okay, that's fine. And then you go on to say the exact thing I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Which is fine, obviously, but you kind of stole my thunder. Not that it's my thunder, because it relates to both of us, but you said exactly what I was going to say, basically, in terms of I had really looked forward to cycling around London, and then when I actually did it, I, a few times I cycled university and other times I just cycled into the center just to do it, just for the experience. And it's one of those things where I really wanted to like it. And to a certain extent I did. But like you said, there's so much you have to get over it. So many hurdles of just frustration and fear and inconvenience. Going around certain roundabouts on my way into the center was just so yeah. perilous just so terrifying i was always so worried when you went out alone on the bike like knowing that you were like going straight to the center it's terrifying and I, and i swear like it was so common to get to like traffic lights and there'd be flowers because people had died yeah. and so you knew that it wasn't really even an irrational fear that it could happen yeah there were so many cycle accidents in london while we were there i would go on the london subreddit or i'd go on the london news sites and it felt like every week mm. several times a week you'd hear about someone who got hit by a lorry or someone who 
got hit by a car going around a roundabout and, you know, were either killed or mangled or maimed or something like that. Like a very serious injury. That happened all the time. And that's at the back of your mind when you are riding in that environment. And I felt that very acutely when I would have near misses with cars. That wasn't my fault. It's just a symptom of the fact that there weren't segregated cycle lanes. It's just all the cyclists kept to the left side of the lane and the cars kind of passed them whenever they could, which is a very dangerous predicament to find mm, yourself in. Sorry. So many cars drive on the cycle lane. So, you know, there's no respect there. There's not at all. There's this antagonistic relationship between Mm. cyclists and motorists. And everyone who has ever cycled in London knows that, Mini cabs and black cabs have a particularly aggressive relationship with cyclists. There's something about people in those professions where they have to deal with cyclists all day, every day, that they really come to have a strong dislike, shall we say, for cyclists. And they really do try to antagonize them however possible. That's something that you just inevitably experience cycling around London. But yeah, just in general, cycling on London streets, it always felt like a dicey hair racing proposition because the cars would get so close to you because they wouldn't respect your space. Because, for example, when you get to traffic lights, there's a box in front of where all the cars line up in front of the traffic lights that is specifically just for cyclists to kind of filter their way up to so that when the lights change you're ahead of all the cars and so you get a nice head start to put some space between you and them and that's especially crucial when you're going around a roundabout Mm. because ideally you want to get around and down your turning before the cars even you know are there too yeah and so or across like a junction or like a crossroads or something it was just so good where i loved it when we got to those but cars often drove into them and you wouldn't get the space so that's another another thing to point out i feel yeah any situation where cars are coming from multiple directions and where you know that they're not going to respect the fact that cyclists need a certain amount of space around them just to navigate safely those are always very pulse quickening positions to be in and so Although I did enjoy cycling around London the the few dozen times that I did it, I eventually just got to a point where it wasn't worth it to me anymore. It was too tense. It was too kind of, I felt like I had to have 100% concentration and be very paranoid about all the cars around me. What are they doing? Are they going to go down this lane even though they're not supposed to until I get past? Are they going to get too close to me when I'm stopping to make a turning? You know, there's all these things that make it, that sap the enjoyment out of it because Mm. you have to be so worried about what cars are doing around you. And so, yeah, and that's what made it so kind of galling to me that, like you said, we left London and then they made a what they call the cycle superhighway. Isn't that what they call it? Cycle highway or something like that. The superhighway sounds very... Superhighway sounds... (laughs) Sci-fi. Maybe it was just the the cycle highway. The superhighway sounds familiar now. Yeah, it's starting to... Maybe we just said it so many times. Yeah. But basically they made a system of really long cycle routes 
where it's completely segregated from the cars by, you know, whether it's like a little concrete separation line or whatever it is, but you're not, you're not moving along with the cars, you're in your own lane, which is perfect. That's exactly what you want as a cyclist. And that would have made things so much better and it would have made me want to cycle so much more. But it only came into place after we had left mm. London, which was so maddening because one of the the cycle highways or super highways or whatever they were called went basically from where we lived to where I went to university. And so I could have used that route that completely safe from all the anxieties that come alongside being around cars. I could have used that every time I went to university and it would have been great and I would have really enjoyed cycling in London again. And yet it only came into place after we left. That is frustrating. Ugh. I wonder what it's like now and if it's in a lot more places. Yeah. It'd be interesting to kind of use next time we're there. So many times I would see as well and I was so kind of like envious of this. Like, because I had a cute bike and I wanted to be all, like, cute on my bike with, like, my flowy dress and my, like, sandals or whatever. And so many times I really did see, like, women on their bikes and they had, you know, skirts on and nice shoes. And I'm like, how are you cycling across the junction like this safely? It's just... And now I feel like all those things would be much easier. I sound like such a girl and so shallow <laughs> talking about stuff like that. But... You know, there's lots of reasons why you want to cycle and you want it to be a complete thing. Um, I was always kind of baffled when I would see businessmen in full, like, three-piece suits with their suit jacket on, sometimes even with an (laughs) overcoat on. They're on a Barclay bike, which for our international listeners is basically just the bike rental services. The city bikes, yeah. And... I would be walking up a hill or wherever it was and you would see them next to you on the road just pumping away at the pedals like full exertion, surely just sweating through their waistcoat. And that always amazed me because they must get to work or whatever it is they're going to just so, just a mess, just so sweaty and so hot and so exhausted. And yet there are people who put that style over practicality mm. so many businessmen as well not wearing helmets yeah that was just most people i saw in why aren't you wearing a helmet weren't wearing a dumbass. helmet i saw people not wearing a helmet not paying attention to the things around them the cars moving alongside and wearing you know big headphones yeah which is just you, uh, you need to be able to hear what's going on because you can't believe that people would be so, so foolish to endanger themselves for such a trivial amusement as getting to listen to music as you cycle somewhere mm. and you put yourself at risk of being blindsided by some car Not you didn't hear coming you could cause the accident because you can't hear something and it could have been avoided if you just taken your headphones off I know that some people have long journeys, but come on. I feel like we definitely have like veered into just talking about cycling in this topic. I think we kind of exhausted what we had to say about the pollution thing. And the cycling is related in terms of if everyone cycled, there'd be a lot less Mm. air pollution from car exhausts. 
And yeah. And now we're here. <laughs> now we're here. The Ryan and Sam story. The Ryan Come and Sam Come into bookstores. Show. All good booksellers near you. We need a theme song. We do have a theme song. We have the little intro jingle. Oh, yeah. Damn. The little jazzy we need words. synth pop. We should make up words to it. No, this will be horrendous. These aren't words, just in case you're no, confused. No, but that's the In case you're having a stroke right now. Those weren't words. That's not a nice thing to say. No, it's not. But I'm not a nice kind of boy. Do you want... And that's why you love me. What? <laughs> Don't hate me, it's funny. That is why I love you. I forgot the reason. Wow. Not the reason why I you love you. You forgot the reason no, that you love me. No. I, I forgot what you said before that. I take that. back the love. I love you. I've forgotten why I fell in love with you in the first place. Speaking of love, it was just Valentine's Day. Yeah. I wonder... I don't know what I was going to say. I wonder what all our listeners did yeah. for Valentine's Day. If they did anything. If they hate Valentine's Day. That is a very popular sentiment. Yeah. But isn't that just because you don't... You're not in love? No, I don't they, particularly like Valentine's Day no, but you don't as an hate institution. It. No, I don't hate it. I just find it kind of superfluous. I don't need a day yeah. where I'm supposed to really show my love to you and really make an effort mm. to please you. I think, that's, silly. I think that's why we don't really celebrate that type of stuff because we wouldn't really be doing anything different to our normal days. Like... You know, we're very much in love, so it's not like we need a day to kind of, like, stop and be like, oh, we're in love. Um, But saying that, I do like Valentine's Day, and I like things like anniversaries and things like that, just because I love love. You love love. I love love. Shall we move on to our third topic? Okay, so the third topic... Hit me with your broomstick. Sure. What's that from? A song. Yeah, maybe. A musical... A musical. Instance a of musicale, creativity. A finale. <laughs> that was like, remember what we were talking about the other day? That was like another kind of like inside joke that we're not supposed to mention. And I'm sure mention. the listeners are going to super appreciate it. It's a super duper inside joke because he doesn't remember I don't what I'm talking it. about. So it's, an it's an inside joke, joke between you and a version of me that doesn't exist anymore because I've forgotten it. It's an inside joke between you and Ryan from yeah. two days ago, which is the most insider joke could possibly be. Yeah. And the least it could be possibly useful to say on a podcast. Mm. I'm the podcast police. Apparently. I'm here to tell you what you can and can't say on our podcast. You stop that. Anyway, the third and final topic of discussion is based on an article. Oh, that would have been so good if you'd have said the yeah. third and final. I looked at you as I said final to let you say, explain what the inside joke was. But, I mean, the inside joke is just mispronouncing final F- as finale. No, f- finale is finale. I don't remember the context of yeah. that. And now we'll never know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it was clearly not as interesting as it's I thought it was. one of those rare jokes about a punchline yeah. or anything that makes it funny. Um, the finale topic yeah, is... The concluding topic of our lives triptych of our triad of conversational topics this episode you're making kind of I'm skeptical doing it to throw you off. confused i'm doing it to throw right you now. off 
is a news story I saw on the New York Times entitled Human Gene Editing Receives Science Panel Support, which is a really dull headline, I'll grant you. But I actually think what it has to say is quite interesting. Apparently, there's this influential panel of scientists who recently came out and said they think it should be permissible for us to edit a embryo's DNA, their genetic material, while it's still at the the earliest possible stages of development. And it's permissible to do that to the extent that it can prevent certain severe diseases from happening when the child is born and they, they grow up and they become an adult. So all those diseases that are inherited that you have a good chance of having because your mother had it or your grandmother had it, this panel basically said we should be able to essentially edit babies in the womb in order to prevent them from having a high likelihood of getting that in later life. And I just basically wanted to talk about that, what you thought about that, but also the larger subject matter of what do you think about the idea of changing your baby on the genetic level for more trivial reasons? For example, you want to have, if it's a boy, you want that boy to grow up and be very muscular, very good at sports, or you want him to have perfect teeth, or you want him to have certain color of hair or certain color of eyes. Like all those unimportant aesthetic details there are going to be people who want to determine that even if it means changing embryonic DNA. And I just think that's a really interesting ethical quandary. And I pose it to you as such. First of all, can you check that we're recording? Second of all, we are indeed recording. And second of all, my second of all, because you took my second. And second I, of I'm all, having... subsection two. Yeah. Sub, subsection <clears> second <throat> of all. I feel like once you start... Okay. While the idea of making sure that your child doesn't have certain diseases or disabilities sounds good, but until you do it, you don't know what's going to go wrong. And B, which is like... I know that's an obvious thing to say, but... It could end up being very, very bad and horrible. I felt like I sounded like Trump then. Very bad. Not good. <laughs> Sad exclamation mark. <laughs> um, it just could be disastrous and horrific. Second of all, once you start changing things, once you open up the ability to go in, if you will, and kind of tinker, then you've opened it up and, and, and people are going to be like, first of all, it's going to be gender. Can you already do that, actually? I don't think so, no. Um, first of all, it will be gender. And then it will be, you know, eye colour or, you know, making sure that the child looks like you. And then it will be abilities. And I think that is a road that we do not want to go down. Um but also, who, why, who, who says, I'm not saying this very This is a very tortured question. Who says that you should have that power to complete, you're almost then completely creating the physical 
characteristics. The physicality, like the physical part of that child. And, you know, you mentioned things like good at sports. What if that child doesn't want to be good at sports? And then the parents resent the child because they spent all this money on yeah, this, this you know, making a designer baby. It's like, you know, I don't think it's a good idea and I don't think it's a road that we should go down. Um, in terms of the, like, making sure that the child doesn't have, like, diseases and stuff, like, what are we talking about? Like, things like Down syndrome? Yeah, but also... That's not something you can just, like, stop, is it? Like, I mean... I I don't... I, I, I'm very acutely aware of my lack of knowledge about the subject, so I don't understand fully how it works or the spectrum of diseases that you can prevent. And the other thing is, especially in the early stages, when they first start doing this... Um, like you said before, should I take that bit out because you actually didn't say it in the podcast? When you mentioned the article, you said this. No, I'll just steal it. Um, some Something to think about as well is once you start doing this, especially when you start doing this in the early stages, is you've got to deal with the consequences of the testing process like you can test and test and say okay we know it works there's not you know there's always going to be slight side effects because there is always side effects to everything but if it goes terribly wrong or you know the wrong gene was taken out or whatever that person then has to deal with that consequences forever like forever in terms of like their kids and then their kids and then their kids. It's just going to get passed down. And if it's something like quote unquote bad, like, or um, something that did go wrong, like it was categorically wrong, like it was a, maybe it could even end up forming a new disease because genes were mixed together that weren't meant to. Um, and that's out there in the world now because of this mess. And you up. can't control it. Yeah. Because that person can procreate with whoever exactly. they want to. So, I just feel like there's 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 too much like potential for disaster. Yeah. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. There are a lot of dangers inherent in messing around with a person's DNA and in turn kind of messing around with humanity's DNA. Mm. Because like you said, you may start this chain reaction where you make some changes that you think are beneficial because it means that this person won't get early onset alzheimer's which of course is a great thing but what you didn't foresee is that it's going to cause that person to die earlier because of some other health complications because of the way that the changes you made to their genetic structure interact with one another in unforeseen and to some extent unforeseeable ways and once you unleash that on the population and by which i mean the genetic population of humanity and it starts to disseminate in ways that you can't predict or control because like i said people will end up having children and not telling the scientists about it and it will just kind mm -hmm. of get out there you could find yourself in a situation where you forever hobble humanity 
because this then becomes present in a large portion of the population and just keeps expanding and expanding and we get to a point where everyone now has this shortcoming in their dna that we can't fix because it had this knock-on effect where it spread to everyone and I, i definitely see that but at the same time all the possible ways that this could go wrong and i definitely concede all of them and i think it really is a scary proposition in some ways do you not think it's worth us braving them and just doing our best to try and minimize them or try and eliminate them to the greatest degree possible so that it isn't just a random roll of the dice every time you have a child it isn't just well this kid is born without an arm or this kid is born um, with severe mental disabilities or this kid is born with a heart defect which is going to kill them before they're 30 you know what i mean like Is it any worse than that when you see how much suffering just relying on the caprice of nature results in all these detrimental outcomes anyway? Isn't it incumbent upon us to try and resolve that, to try and exert some control over that process, to try and make it better however we can? Yeah, I feel like when you put it like that and when I kind of think about it a bit more, obviously, if there was a way to be like, no, your baby's not going to suffer now, that you would want to take it. I just obviously worry that it is kind of opening the door. But to go back to something we said earlier when we were talking about um, politics is the potential for something disastrous a reason to not try? Especially if, as we get closer to this being a reality, if actually it turns out, not that it's easy to do, but, you know, it can be done and it can be done successfully, then obviously that's not something most people are going to want to turn away. Because there are lots of babies born with diseases and and things. So, I don't know, it's hard. Because when you do put it like that, like, oh, my baby's going to be such and such. If there was a way for you to stop it, you would. But I, I just really don't like the idea of, like, I want my baby to have blue eyes. Like, fuck you. But you got to try and separate it. And I would go even further than saying well you would don't you think there would be kind of an ethical imperative don't you think there would be kind of a moral duty for you as the parents of this future child to say we're going to screen this embryo's genetic material and make sure that we save this child from all of these latent conditions that will arise later in the child's life and inflict great suffering and hardship on them don't you think that they should feel like they have to do that to do right by the child yeah but you'd be surprised how many people don't think that way the amount you know the people find out sometimes early what's going on and they refuse to terminate or whatever terminate is such a you know bone chilling word to use in that context well there are lots of people that look at it like no 
you know, we made the choice to have a baby and now we'll love it no matter what. Like, you know, people do think like that. So, I don't know, it's a tough one. Yeah, I I get that. But isn't that, to a certain extent, kind of selfish, just saying, well, it doesn't matter because we're going to love the child no matter what? It is selfish. Shouldn't they be thinking about the child's life and about what they're going to have to endure? It's great if your parents still love you, even though you were born without Mm -hmm. legs or whatever it is, but you then still have to live your life at that disadvantage. I agree it is. And I... I Yeah, I agree that it is. But I think when you get into the territory of, like, people have to do a certain thing, um, that's like a whole other ball game. Yeah. Because, you know... Testing for certain things early on in a pregnancy is dangerous. So lots of people don't even have the test to see if there are any things wrong. Anything things wrong. <laughs> the plurals are confusing. To see yeah. if there are any things wrong. What the hell? Yeah. To see if there are anything. I to think see it's just to see if there's is, anything wrong. Yes. I have gone crazy. You are inserting just superfluous to, yeah, S's. Just to see if there is anything wrong. A lot of people won't even have the test yeah. because of the danger. And then some people have the test and they choose to have the child anyway. But yeah, if we're, if we're looking at it from that aspect, it is totally selfish. Because if I was born and I was aware that I had all these things wrong with me, I would wish that I wasn't born. So, you know, I think as long as we can separate the two which obviously it will start out that way. Like, you know, we're doing this so that we can wipe out certain diseases and things. Then that's a great thing. But just like plastic surgery, how, you know, there's one aspect of that where it's like reconstructive. um, Helping burn victims. Yeah, exactly. And then there's like, not that I'm judging, because if you want to get bigger boobs or bigger lips or whatever, that's up to you. But that's, a good example of the same kind of thing it's like changing things because it's better for you or it helps kind of get rid of something or changing something because you just prefer you you prefer it yeah that's different yeah i just want to point out that i wasn't saying like this should be mandatory like it should be something enforced there's obviously a very plain dystopian element to say if the government stepped in and said we're going to make it so by law everyone Mm. has to screen their babies and we tell them that we have to fix this and this and that there's some hacky sci-fi writer out there who would pen a scenario where the government finds out the genetic preconditions for a person being a dissenter like you know what is it in a person's dna that makes them more likely to protest more likely to speak out against the government and then they would secretly get rid of that from the population like i I understand all of those nightmarish implications um i just think that yeah like you said parents should want to do this parents should feel like this is part of their obligation to their child to make sure that they have the best life possible and I think we can quite easily distinguish between trivial concerns like 
ensuring that your child has the same color eyes as you and real profound important concerns like making sure that your child isn't born blind Mm. I, i think we can maintain that line and of course as the technology develops there's going to be just like with anything else a black market that emerges where really rich people you know go to secret doctors in secret laboratories and they get that stuff done for them and that in turn is quite dangerous when you think about it because then you could have this class of ultra rich people who have perfect bodies and perfect minds because they were able to a afford that to be done to them at an embryonic stage but also b they were willing to go outside of the law and get this done even though it wasn't legal because they had the means and the contacts to procure that black market mm. assistance and not everybody is like sane and not everybody is like logical and not everybody can really see what they're asking and you could end up with these like really weird like super freak babies you know like that have seven foot five that come out, you 400 know... 400 pounds of pure muscle. Because if you're a doctor, a private doctor, and you're getting offered, you know... Say, for instance, you know, knowledge knowledge of how to kind of, you know, quote-unquote, design your baby is out there. Then someone super rich or whatever could go and be like, I want this gene, or I want this... And the doctor's like, no, because that would make your baby blah, 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 you know... There would be serious consequences. No, do it. Here's a billion dollars. Yeah. Like, you don't know what you could end up with. And that's really scary. But like I pointed out earlier, why is it better for us to just leave that in the hands of nature? Is it because we feel like the randomness inherent in nature almost kind of makes it fair? Like you can't blame yeah. nature when a child is born with two fingers because nature didn't do that out of a sense of maliciousness. Nature didn't even do that intentionally. It just happened by chance. And so mm. there's no one to blame. Whereas, like you said, if a rich parent decided that they wanted their child to have, I don't know, 15 fingers because it would make them better as a concert pianist i don't know oh my god (laughs) and they and the child ended up with with misformed hands that only had two fingers anyway then we would look at that person and have someone to blame Mm. and have someone to heap this um vilification on is that the only difference there i mean you you're ending up with the same outcome it's just with the latter scenario you have someone to blame for Mm. it there's such a yes and such a no for each part of his argument like there's such a like of course we'd want to do this but oh my god no of course nature's not better because if we have the tools to change it why wouldn't we but oh my god yeah you know so it's not really something i think you would definitely fall down on one side of i feel like maybe it would have to start actually being a real thing before you could you know, like maybe in, in 150 years <laughs> when there are actual living people yeah. out there who have been genetically... Um, Modified. Yeah. And we can see that actually they're no different. The only difference really is that they don't have that disease or they don't have that thing wrong. Then 
I don't like saying that that thing wrong, but you know what I mean. Um, You know, it's like you've got to kind of see it with your own eyes and know that it doesn't turn out into this monstrous, like, Frankenstein type of situation. I think to a certain extent, it's difficult for us right now to stomach philosophically because I believe there's this kind of underlying implicit idea that we all have where your parents make a choice that's for sure because they choose to procreate to produce you but how you turn out is right now because we can't modify or we don't modify genetically it is like i said a roll of the dice and so the way you turn out is the way you turn out no one decided that for you and then you kind of start from this position of tabula rasa where you have a clean slate you start with whatever hand it was that you were dealt and you make all your choices from there you you see what i mean like Mm. the the starting line is you emerge and you start making your choices and no one decided what you were going to be when you emerged whereas if your parents were able to on a very minute level micromanage everything about you everything that was going to be you when you emerged from the womb it would almost be like there was no element of volition left to be found in your life because everything had been decided for you by a person Mm. not just by you know the randomness of nature before you were even born and that has decided everything about your life this is partly unrelated but it's made me think of it I really dislike the way a lot of people view themselves as parents slash the way they think of their children, like they own them somehow. And that, you know, if they're not being the way that they want you to be or that they, they had hoped you to be, you're like a big disappointment or, you know, but. No one asks to be here. We're here and we're born into a time, whichever time that might be, that might be really easy and excitable for you or it might be really hard and not fun for you. From the moment you're kind of like really able to think for yourself, you might just be completely fucking miserable with everything because you don't want to be here. You didn't ask to be here. And some people are like that. But yet, the way the world is, there are just so many expectations and so many, um, you know, standards that you have to kind of live up to. I don't know. I don't really have, like, a proper point. I just... It's just something that I think about sometimes, you know? Late at night. Yeah. When you're alone in bed. I'm like... I'm like... I, you know in a lot of people's eyes, might not function like a quote-unquote normal person. But that's how I choose to function. You know, I think about those people who kind of shirk any kind of like... They kind of like don't go with any of the societal norms and they, you know, don't own anything and they don't live... They just live off the land and they just, you know, because... Their idea of like living a full life isn't getting a nine to five job that you hate and abiding, you know, and kind of adhering to all these rules because 
That's you know, not for them. That's not for them. And it's not for a lot of people. Yet a lot of people do do it. And so I just, it, it made me think of it because this whole like modifying the genes and stuff, in a sense, you're giving the parents even more power and you're setting the child up for even more failure. Just in terms of like, we're not talking about the diseases and stuff here. We're talking about like going even further into the, you know, designer baby rabbit hole. I actually think it's a great point you bring up this strange notion we have that parents in a way own their children mm. and they can decide everything for them and they can make these choices that will basically determine what the child's life is going to be like. It's a very strange thing that we don't seem to talk about very much because I think it's very difficult to justify because it is another person that you've brought into this world and I get that you're the parent and they're your child and so there is that very definite very intimate connection but they're still their own person if you see what I'm saying and so yeah I, I definitely get yeah why you find it troubling and I find it troubling in the same way there's also that element of like you know, you're born and you go through however many years, what, 16 to 18 years of, like, doing basically what your parents want you to do because you have to. You don't really have any rights yet. You know, you go to school and you do your extracurricular activities because your parents choose those things for you. Then when you're 16 or 18 or 20 and you're like, Actually, that person you've known for 16 years, that's not me. That's the person you wanted me to be. And I don't really like any of you very much because you're not very nice and you don't listen to me. And I feel like that's looked down upon. But actually, when you really think about it, there's this weird, like, you have to love your family because they're your family. But no, you don't. You really don't. You don't have to like them. You don't have to spend time with them. You can have real connections with your family because you you have a bond kind of beyond that. And then there's people that don't have any kind of bond other than you made me. And that's that's just another kind of thing that it makes me think of. Like, you can imagine, you know, the type of parents that would change every single thing they could if they had the power and the money and then the kid comes out and they you know because you can't change the mind you can change all the genes you want they can have you know red hair and freckles and green eyes and be really strong and play the violin and you know be really tall and all this crap but if the thing that you really want in the mind of that child is not there, you can't change that. No amount of money or science is ever going to change that. Unless you just strap them down, <laughs> tape open their eyelids and brainwash them with no. some videos instilling parental love. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird one because there's just so many dystopic futures that you can see it bringing about mm. i mean there couldn't possibly be a starker divide between the haves and the have-nots than if 
all the wealthy people looked like, and I'm not saying this is what is beautiful, I'm just saying that this is what people's standard of beauty is. If all the wealthy people looked like models, mm. they were all tall, slim, had perfect bone structure, perfect teeth, perfect hair, um, all these great physical attributes, they're strong, they're fast, they're flexible, um, they have all these skills, they can play the piano, they can play the violin, they're great at sports, they're great at acrobatics, whatever it is. And they have that because they can afford to have their children, and they did have their children, modified at the genetic level. Whereas the lower classes would be like we are right now, where it is just the look of the draw, how you turn out. Mm. I mean, that's just an insane situation to find yourself in and it's hard to see how that wouldn't happen because when this does become available i guess i should say if this does become available to anyone just a consumer product you know it's going to be millions of dollars at first and if it's millions of dollars at first only the ultra wealthy are going to be able to afford it i feel like if it really is about eradicating like diseases and and kind of trying to get rid of things like that then it should be free everywhere because you're trying to make a greater human race for the future that's a dangerous term to use that's basically what you're doing yeah you're trying to make everything better you know but it's not going to be free no i think even if it was a thing and it became this thing worldwide, it probably wouldn't even be free here. Like, it would be something that you have to kind of, like, pay for separately. Um, but I don't think things like that, thinking about things like that on a bigger level, that you shouldn't have to pay, because then it does just fall. Instead of giving your baby the gene to be athletic, it's exactly the same as paying for your child to go to the best school with the best sports program. It's just the same as that, but you're doing it from birth instead of from the age of 10. And so that's why I don't think it should be like, you know, you can only have it, but it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't know if it's exactly the same as, as that. But no, in terms of like the designer aspect of yeah. it, obviously the disease thing, that's different. So, yeah. Wow. Well, that topic kind of blew my mind a little bit. It's very strange. And it's yet another one of those things where people seem to have this preconception that it's the stuff of science fiction and that we're not going to see it in our lifetimes. And it's going to be hundreds and hundreds of years before it's relevant in any way. And I think people are going to be very surprised when mm. a few decades down the line, we start to see it emerge. But and if like we a, yeah. haven't had the conversation before then and come to, you know, some kind of relative consensus about what is the ethical way to implement this into mm. humanity, and to let people access this technology, then it's going to descend upon us unprepared. And who knows what yeah. that's going to result in. There's like a deep philosophical aspect to it that I didn't really expect when you brought it up. Then it kind of took me with it a little bit, surprisingly. Yeah, so I'm just going to ruminate. You're going to ruminate and you're going to... Marinate. Like a when we're done, I mean cooked ham, some chicken, 
I'm going to put I'm you so in a pot, fill it with what? boiling water. I feel like we always talk about food at the end of these because you alive. I go without food for like three hours. My body doesn't deserve this kind of punishment. Nobody's punishing it. <laughs> Next time I'll be snacking. I will never allow that to happen, listeners. Believe me. I've <laughs> got you, your back. <laughs> do you like a mukbang, but just audio? No one knows what a mukbang Everyone is. knows what that is. No. That's like a thing now. I'm afraid that that's true. I'm sure seven out of ten of you know what that is. That's a very arbitrary statistic. <laughs> Maybe don't statistic. Google it, actually. Wow, okay. So, yeah, I think we're at the end of this... Episode 10. Voyage. I'm very happy. This journey. Journey. Je ne sais quoi. Je ne, je ne I don't know quite what that means. Je ne sais quoi. It's like the... You're doing a hand gesture that no one can see. <laughs> You're doing a, a vaguely French, it's like the emphatic it, the it hand thing, gesture. The X factor of something, you know. Okay. It's just the je ne sais quoi. I'll take your word on it. Wow. Being okay. a French scholar that you are. <laughs> I am a, what do they call it? A Francophile. Yeah, so we hope you enjoyed this episode. Episode 10. What a, it's a milestone. It's a, it's a minor milestone, but a, a, a milestone yeah. all the same. Please share it with anyone else you think might like it. Um, we'd really appreciate that. New episodes are released about two weeks after the last one. And you can find the podcast on iTunes and pretty much all of the podcast services. Or you can go to rtappodcast.com. That's A-R-T-A-T podcast.com, which redirects to our SoundCloud page. You can send any feedback or comments, which we'd really like and appreciate. Constructive criticism is welcome too, to rtappodcast at gmail.com. And please, please, super duper please, with cherries on top, rate, review and subscribe on iTunes if you have the time, which really helps new podcasts like ours. Um, and so, so yeah. yeah. You can send us one of two things, either nudes or 10,000 word philosophical treatises. Treatise I? Treatise I? Treatise I? I don't think that's it. Treatise? Treatise? Treaters. Treaters. Twitter? Tw- you got mad. Twitter bird? Tweet, 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 Philosophical essays, which we can peruse over breakfast. That's a very With intellectual my... breakfast. <laughs> Reading. Toast and treatises. Kant's critique of pure reason as you eat your cornflakes. Treatises over toastuses. Sure. Hobbitses. <laughs> Hobbitses Hobbitses enjoying an apple for elevenses. Hobbitses enjoying an apple for elevenses while they read the treatises. And they fled the war so they're defeatists. <laughs> okay, I think we're done. I think we've reached the end of our sanity tether. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. The music used during the intro and outro was kindly provided by Christopher, 
from soundslikeanearful.com. See you next episode. See you next episode. See you next episode. I'm cutting you One off. More. See you next episode. See you next episode. No more killing. <laughs>